You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 561. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 17th of March, 2023. episode, seven people on a Lufthansa flight are flung into the air and sent to the hospital because of clear air turbulence. A Qantas flight from LA is delayed three hours because an emergency slide deploys while taxiing. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, 1,500 hours. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 561 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins on 93 FM in New York City. Yes. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guest Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in the United States of America. Also joining us today from her office somewhere in North Carolina. I'm thinking, oh, wait, North. There we go. Uh, We have, uh, where are you? There we are. Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Yes, I am still at work. Still have some work to do, but didn't want to miss the opportunity to join you all this evening and at least discuss a little aviation. So I'll hang out for as long as I can until I get kicked out of here and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. And also joining us from across the pond and his studio, in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. Hi, Steph. Hi, Liz. Uh, on lily-livered Lucky Leprechaun Day. Uh, really? Do we have to do this? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I just love the music. Thank you. Thanks to Kevsky. <laughs> Great to see you, Captain Nick, and also joining us from a place to stand, a place to grow. Ontario. Um, <laughs> retired financier. Aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Top of the day to you all. Oh, thank you so much. I'm that not even very nice. to do there you go. an Irish accent. Show you guys. All right. Well, I think maybe we should move on to news.
Stand by for news. So our first item is a video from our wonderful friends at Bass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications. Air Tower, Citation Air Tower, Bravo, Tango, 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 and Attorney Facebook, 30, Let's Go, Tango, Tango. X-ray, Bravo, Tango, Tango, North, Vegas Tower, continue to descend runway 30 left, please, land. That's a Mexican registration. X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tinko, Tinko, turn right to line up for left down when runway 30 left. Turn right to line up for 30 left. Go, Tango, Tango. He's out there on a... Okay, please read. Most of the silences in this video have been trimmed. Radio Radar is synced with audio but may not be in perfect sync. All non-relevant communications have been deleted. Only subject aircraft is displayed on the radar. There's another video which shows the incident in real time with all communications and untrimmed. X-ray Bravo Golf Tango Tango. You can begin a left turn now for a base for runway 30 left to your plan. Turning left for a base for 30 left. Go Tango Tango. You've overshot by quite a bit. You're now like one mile east of the coast. Continue that left turn to line back up for a left downwind from way three so left. Was the METAR and it looked like winds were calm and it was clear. Mm. <laughs> if I got through all Great. of it. Bravo Golf Tango Tango. Thanks. Continue that uh, heading. That present heading. Zero seven zero. Where's this guy going? Correction, uh, 250. X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tingo, Tingo. Flight stuff heading 250. 250, Golf, Tango, Tango. Looking at the video, this. X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tingo, Tango. Begin a left turn now, 45 degrees to line up for left downwind runway 30 left. 45 degrees to the left to line up for 30 left, Golf, Tango, Tango. It's just flying in circles around this airport, north of Las like Vegas. Like over the top of it. After Bravo Golf, Tingo, Tingo, you're going too far southwest. Continue that left turn. Left turn, go, 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 go. After Bravo Golf, Tingo, Tingo, turn left. This is just a heading 060. 060, go, 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 go. After Bravo Golf, Tingo, Tingo, do you have the runway off your left? Two miles in sight. Looking, go up, go up, go up. Nope. Well, now we nope. have the wrong way inside. Can we make a yeah. right turn to line up? <laughs> Going by on our left, off our left. <laughs> X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tango, Tango. Next, continue that uh, heading now, and then line back up for left downwind. Are, were you not seeing the runway? <laughs> now we have them inside. Are you go looking out the run window? <laughs> X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tango, Tango, Roger. Continue left turn, fly back over the field. To line up for left downwind runway 30 left. Have you okay, been drinking? Up, fly opposite field and to line up for 30 left. Go is he sitting on the right hand side of the cockpit? <laughs> I don't see out of the left. Even window. if he is, you could. He should have seen it multiple times. <laughs> yes. With what he's that done. Was oh, oh, there it is. They see the runway behind, behind you, now. right? All right. Now watch the track. Okay. It's going. It's going to on the missed approach. Make left close traffic runway three zero left, and you're going to need to slow down. You're going way too fast. Oh, good idea. What type of airplane was this again? It's a citation. runway three zero left. Clear to land. left. 
We're not making this up, people. Nope. Here he goes again. X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo. You're going to have to reduce your speed to uh, come in and land. You're going too fast again. I she's flying for him. <laughs> yeah. I X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo. Yeah. You're overshooting final. You're an idiot. This is like the fifth time they've Actually, Bravo tried to down go, bingo. What do you need it's to help like... you to land? Because you've uh, done this I... a couple times. Are you not seeing the runway? Pilot. Piloting skills. Actually, Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo, Roger, do you need to try a different runway? Because three go left is not working for you. <laughs> it's not working for me. <laughs> I agree, Bravo, God, Tingo, Tingo. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Do you need to try a different runway? Everybody, we need to try three zero right for God, God, That's not a good idea. I've seen that one more often. I agree, Bravo, God, Tingo, Tingo, runway three zero right, clear plan, and just to let you know that is a shorter runway. No problem. We we got this. Definitely got this. X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo Runway 30 right is 4,199 feet. Are you able to land on that? X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo Roger. Begin that last base. Reduce your speed because you're still going really fast. Runway 30 right. Please land. X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo 30 right. Please land. No. Guess what? No. <laughs> no. Not there he goes again. X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo, continue northbound. Just continue your heading northbound, and going. then I'll I call you left turn back inbound. Right, controller no hasn't told him just to go somewhere else and yeah, try somewhere else. Exactly. X-ray Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo, I told you to fly the heading. You're going northbound now. Begin a left turn to enter a left base. Correction. Uh, Left crosswind, a left crosswind for runway 30 left. <laughs> Let's turn to the right. Left crosswind for 30 left. Mm. It is. Mm. Uh. Actually, Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo, begin that left turn now. You're still going northbound. <laughs> You're not going to see the airport going that way. It's way behind you. Rearview mirror. To the south. Okay, he's turning around. Actually, Bravo Golf Tingo Tingo, turn right 25 degrees for the crosswind. You're about to line up runway 1 to left. Got to get the helicopter just over the field inbound for that north ramp. Turn right now. Please, please don't hit the helicopter. Please, please do not. And we have that runway inside for Golf Tango both runways. There's three, that, actually. That's what you said before. Actor, Bravo Golf, Tingo Tingo, wind now to your right for that downwind. What accent is that? Actor, Bravo Golf, Tingo Tingo. Try again for runway 30 left. If not, we're going to have to get you down on another runway because the three zeros are not working. 30 left, Golf Tango the three zeros are broken. X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tingo, Tingo, and do not do a wide base. Tighten up that base to line up runway three zero left. You keep overshooting the final. Okay, right, left, left base for three zero left. Go back, go back. Are we yeah, three two left? It's really not going to matter. X-ray, Bravo, Golf, Tingo, Tingo, affirmative. Three zero left. Please land. Three zero left. Three zero left. Go back, go back. 
They, it says that they successfully Every landed 20 minutes after joining the pattern. 20 minutes and after. And it says immense kudos to the controller for her patience and profession. I mean, I think I would have lost my patience <laughs> halfway through that, maybe, if I'd gotten that far. Yeah. Mm. The trouble is, what do you do with someone who's having such a difficult day? Because if you send sent them, them to, to a airport, much larger no airport, that they'll even find another airport. That's true. To keep them yeah. around your area and, and try and find a runway I, they can line up with. But what was the mitigating circumstance? Did they have an emergency? Did they did have they, a handling problem? Did they maybe just need a much longer, mm-hmm. like, straight? I don't know what the uh, – that's North Las Vegas, right? So presumably there's only so much space they can use to do their – Patterns and approaches with other airspace uh, in the well, area. Of course, multiple. you have, you know, I'm Vegas, just thinking about what other airports main, are in the area. Um, I, I was wondering if maybe it would yeah, have been Las a Vegas, good idea yeah. to just like send sure, them back sure. to approach and just have approach control line them up on a really long final. Yeah. Instead of trying to do Set them a, up on a very a long, that's VFR what I was thinking, long pattern. final, long straight in. They weren't, mm-hmm. they clearly weren't good Any with. Yeah, the Sultan of Wings in uh, Charlotte. Uh, at this point, don't you think, uh, the brand, yeah, that uh, controllers should provide instructions and assign speeds and vectors to an instrument approach? I, yeah, you'd think that. I mean, but can they fly an instrument approach? I mean, based on what we just saw there with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. At this point, I don't have a lot of confidence in anything that they can do. Yeah. I think, I think the long that... straight in would have been maybe a next right thing to try. Yeah, considering their competence, I'd be worried about bringing their speed back or giving them a low speed in case they hadn't configured the aircraft correctly for that speed and they ended up stalling. The, the state, their their energy state, the you know they couldn't see the runways. Um, yeah, I just, I you know what I I saw this video. I watched this video the first time with the volume off and was reading the captions, the closed captioning, and I'm thinking, well, obviously. They must sound like they're just drunk, but no, they didn't. They didn't sound drunk at all. No, they don't. And they don't even sound that. They don't even sound that confused, other than not knowing how to actually execute what they're being told to do. They seem to have an understand. You know, it doesn't seem like a language barrier. They seem to understand what they're being asked to do. I, I wonder if the sure guy on the radio they, is the same guy as doing the flying, though. The so, flying, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's a question. And he may be having to translate to someone who doesn't speak the language, who's actually doing the to, flying. I, 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 you yeah. know, this is the sort of circumstance where you would almost expect an FAA inspector to be waiting on the ground for them uh, and pounce when they do land to find out what the hell was going on. Because otherwise, you know. I don't know what's going on here, but we need to involve the FAA to investigate this. Yeah. We let this guy take off again. Yeah. For sure. All right. Yeah. That well, was something. I don't know what, but it was something. That was crazy. That's for sure. Yeah. That's the way we like to start <laughs> off the different. show. With <laughs> crazy stuff like that. A great start. Great <laughs> yeah. stuff. The, show. Yeah, it's, complete confusion. Hey, the lesson, the bottom line here is you too, dear listener, whether you've ever been in an airplane or not, can 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 fly too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Please. Okay. Uh, let's uh, move on to this next one from the Washington Post.com. 
Uh, let's see. Officials acknowledge this year's close calls are a warning sign as the industry comes back from the pandemic and runways are busier. Hmm. Sounds like a lame excuse to me. Aviation leaders meeting outside Washington to address recent near misses at the nation's airports said Wednesday, an influx of new workers during a rapid pandemic era travel rebound has presented safety challenges. Uh, Jason Ambrosi, president of the Airline Pilots Association Labor Union, said demand bounced back more quickly than expected and unprepared airlines brought flights back too fast. And it's not just new pilots, it's new everybody, controllers, flight attendants, ground people. In this post-COVID rapid recovery, there's so much going on. Well, maybe we should like slow it down, people. Uh, Federal transportation officials and industry leaders emphasized during the safety summit that flying remains incredibly safe in the U.S., a track record that they often attribute to close coordination between airlines and the FAA. They also acknowledged this year's close calls, six in recent weeks at airports across the country, are a warning sign as the industry comes back from the pandemic and runways are busier. It's not an Academic exercise, acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan said, six near misses. We have taken these six near misses, I think it's actually more than that now, and treated them as if they happened. Like, in other words, they were actually real uh, hit, not near misses, but hits. Yep. The industry's growing pains have caused disruptions in the last 18 months as airlines try to manage rising passenger demand. Last year, that largely resulted in canceled flights and delays as carriers juggled their resources. Juggling the resources. Several panels uh, pointed to turnover in the aviation labor force during the pandemic as a potential safety risk, but they stopped short of assigning a cause to any of the recent incidents. Many workers took leaves or early retirements, travelers did. So all the, you know, experienced people, a lot, not all, but a lot of the experienced people have, have left the workforce and new ones have come in to kind of uh, make up for the uh, loss of labor. Um, but, you know, you can only go so far with that, I think. I'm, I'm now not reading this article anymore. We get it. I'm editorializing this. Um, I, you know, I'm, that's definitely a factor for sure. But I don't know. Some, I just feel like something else is going on here uh, more than just the pandemic. I think it – well, I'm not going to say what I think. Um, well, well, I'm going to say it, Jeff, even if you're not, that people are cutting corners for the sake of cost. They, they, most uh, aviation-orientated companies have taken a, a huge financial hit over the pandemic. We understand that. Some of them have enormous debts. So they're trying to cut the, the costs of operating down to an absolute minimum whilst they're still trying to man up uh, and encourage people to come of the right caliber, train people, all those additional overheads. Um, and I think as a result, they're not doing a very good job. Um, they, You know, you really can't uh, afford to cut back in the sort of training you give and uh, the safety margin you need for providing personnel uh, to fill the gaps when people are sick or when they're overworked, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I think it's that fight between... We've got to keep our company going. We've got to make some money now to compensate for the losses we made. Yet we really don't want to spend anything on on anything. And uh, this is the result. And a lot of these cases, these incidents, um, have not only involved air crews, but also 
air traffic controllers. And we've talked about in the last several years now, uh, the fact that uh, the hiring practices have been kind of suspect uh, in a, a lot of uh, positions uh, in the last, as I said, in the last few years. I, you know, and because, you know, you have a pool, you have, you have a certain number of jobs that need to be filled. You have a pool of applicants. You hope that they're all qualified, but I'm, I've heard rumors, even at my company who tends to, you know, to, to, uh, attract the, the best of the best, the cream of the crop and all that sort of thing. Don't worry guys. If you're not with Acme, I'm, I'm not discounting your airline. Well, we the same all know thing. Acme is actually the top of well, the of course, well, I It mean, begins uh, with A, so it has to be. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there, uh, there are a lot of other great major legacy carriers out there, and I'm sure that they're probably experiencing the same thing. But I've heard some, some anecdotal um, reports from people that are, you know, hiring and training uh, people. And uh, they're saying it's, let's just say it's just not the same way it was uh, years ago. And uh, the, the, it's still safe, but it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to say anymore. Because I don't want to get in trouble, but it's 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 of concern here. We need to do something. I don't know what it is we need to do. And maybe uh, start yeah, cutting down on the flight. My, my takeaway, my takeaway yeah, yeah. is that you know, uh, and I see this in other places, not just aviation, but I think as the world becomes a more populated place, and we take more and more people avail themselves of. Um, you know, this current technology that we call air travel, which has been around for a long time, but, you know, year over year, there's more airplanes in the sky, there's more people traveling, there's more, um, there's just more opportunity for these things to line up potentially. But then it goes along with, because you have more aircraft in the sky, you have busier schedules, you need more people to work, you're taking more people on board, that means more demands, more resources on the training department side of things. Um, You're, you know, like, to just point, sometimes that training period may get shortened, compressed. They try to make it more efficient, um, but I, I have to wonder if that's a lot of it as well. You know, you're bringing people in, and um, there's just fewer resources all around. So pick whatever position you want in that chain of everything, whether it's controller side, pilot side, and trying to get people online very quickly to fill the demands. Um, and I think there's probably less of that you know, on the job. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Not my office still. I thought there was someone else at my door there. Um, less of that on the job. There's somebody um, with a big giant knife. Supervision, perhaps. <laughs> In, yeah, right. <laughs> that door. I don't know. I think everyone else went home. We'll let you know. Steph, um, but it'll probably just be too late. Thanks. I if you see that door open. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, if, if you, kind of take all of those things and compound them over time if you're having less you know supervision less less demanding training standards just to make sure that needs are being met across the board and not to say that training standards aren't good i think they are but i think there will always be people out there who perhaps would benefit from a little bit more guidance a little bit more time going through that training period and if you're not doing that then you're going to get times where those folks line up and you just have more chance for errors to compound yeah i think it's it's multifaceted i mean it's trying to squeeze i am going to see what's going uh, on outside my door here into a pint pot 
you know, so you're trying to cut down on manpower and keep the cost down there. But that, of course, involves uh, cutting down on the, the people who are going to do all the training and do the supervising as well. You've got to have experienced people to do that. Where, how do they gain the experience if all the experienced people have wandered off to other jobs or retired? Uh, it, it, it is, a, you know, it's, it's going down a plug hole, you know, getting faster and faster and tighter and tighter. Uh, and we're just seeing one area of results here with these uh, uh, runway incursions uh, and near misses. So, um, you know, uh, it could be manifested next week in a different style of incident. But I think the whole industry I agree. is and, on a uh, bit of a knife. I don't know right what now. it was like for you and the RAF and the RAAF, uh, but when I was in the U.S. Air Force, when this kind of thing started happening, they just said, okay, we're going to stand down for 24 hours or 48 hours or even longer sometimes. But you just can't do can't do that in the the airline industry, the you know the transportation industry, uh, because people have bought tickets. They're expecting to go from A to B and get where they're going. You know that was the contract that uh, that's implied, and uh, you just got to keep going. So you got to figure out a way to to make people kind of you know step uh, yeah a couple a couple steps back and kind of take a wider view of everything and say, okay, let's really start focusing because I don't know. I just get, I'm getting this feeling like something we see all the, we talk about it every week. I just have a feeling something is going to bad. It's going to happen. And it well, just, it's, it's got very close to that point several times. And it's only by luck or, you know, last minute good judgment that uh, something drastic hasn't happened. Uh, and I pray seriously that, we can get over the hump and you know perhaps in six months or a year things will have significantly improved so this is a real low time right now and i think you're right to a certain extent i think you know it would be nice to see uh, aviation authorities around the world dialing back uh, limiting the amount of air traffic uh, just so that the shareholders don't leap onto the company's back and insist on them making vast profits to make up uh, and allowing them a little bit of breathing space while they regenerate the kind of um, ability and skills that they had a few years ago. Agreed. Okay. Well, um, hopefully things will change sooner rather than later. Uh, next item is from paddle your own canoe, uh, passengers and crew flung into the air after a Lufthansa flight from Austin hits severe, clear air in quotes, turbulence, sending seven to the hospital. At least seven people were sent to the hospital on Wednesday evening after a Lufthansa flight from Austin, Texas to Frankfurt, Germany hit severe, air, uh, clear air turbulence around 90 minutes into the flight as the Airbus A330 was flying at around 37,000 feet over the state of Tennessee. Photos and video shared on social media showed debris strewn around the cabin and the aircraft suddenly plummeted without warning. At the point the turbulence struck, the main meal service was still in full swing and the seatbelt signs were off. Lufthansa flight uh, 469 departed Austin around 5 p.m. on Wednesday but was forced to make an emergency diversion to Washington Dulles, where emergency first responders were waiting to meet the aircraft. One passenger told NBC4 how a flight attendant was flung towards the ceiling 
while he was standing in the aisle serving drinks. The force was so strong that the flight attendant was horizontal as he fell from the ceiling towards the floor. Images shared by some passengers showed meals, drinks, and other debris strewn across the floor. Uh, another passenger told the Washington Post that his seatmate had to be taken off the, uh, the aircraft in a wheelchair and was heavily bleeding from his injuries sustained during the 20 seconds of severe turbulence. The FAA has confirmed it is investigating the incident, but provided no further details about the extent of the injuries of those on board. Um, and there's another article from the, uh, oh, it's also from Paddle Your Own Canoe, um, talking about the carnage and the, they kind of talk about in this article about the fact that uh, the crew on board the airplane were telling everybody, you know, like erase your, don't, do not take pictures, do not send them to anybody. You need to erase them and all that kind of stuff. I guess citing something about German law, uh, generally uh, per, um, uh, preventing people to take photos of others in public without their permission. And also um, taking pictures of people uh, that are in, in, in distress and helplessness. But, uh, so Liz, if you'll do me a favor, would you uh, show me a little, uh, shot of the, um, of the, uh, path of the uh, Lufthansa flight? Thank you. Okay. So, um, I don't know about you, uh, dear fellow co-hosts, uh, but, uh, if you look at the area where they encountered this clear air turbulence, uh, it looks very colorful on the, the radar return. Uh, over over Tennessee, um, and they may have been in the clear, but as if you've listened to our show, uh, you will understand that uh, if you're above all the convective activity, there's a lot of there's a lot of green, um, uh, some yellow, and even some red returns, which means uh, significant uh, convective activity, thunderstorm activity that they were flying over the top of. I'm not sure if they were clear of it or not, but even if they were, you you just can't assume that it's going to be nice and smooth above the convective activity. You have to assume that you're going to get some some turbulence up there. So I don't know that. In fact, I think that might be why Simon in the uh, Aviation Herald, uh, or was it? No, it wasn't Simon. It was uh, whoever does the uh, paddle your canoe uh, own canoe guy. Yeah, but I mean, in one of these articles, it, it talks, it has some quotes around clear air turbulence, and I, I understand why because I don't know. I'm not sure I would classify that as clear air turbulence, even if you were in the clear technically. But if you're above a very, very active, a uh, lot of energy convective system, uh, you should know that it's going to be turbulent, or there's a possibility of turbulence, and maybe you should delay your meal service and have the seatbelt line on and have people seated. Uh, what do you think, Nick? You've, you fly a lot of long haul or used to fly a lot of long haul flights. Yeah, or? absolutely. I, I flew this type of aircraft for uh, quite a few years. Um, this thing came immediately to mind. If they're going all the way to uh, Frankfurt and they're only uh, an hour, hour and a half into the flight, they're pretty damned heavy, but they're already up at 37,000. Uh, now, when you're heavy and you're at that altitude, you don't have a huge margin between your maximum and minimum speeds. And I'm wondering if um, that was part of the problem uh, in, the, in the turbulence. They, uh, they 
lost speed and um, had to descend rapidly in order to keep the aircraft from getting into uh, aerodynamic difficulties. Um, that was just one thought. So I'm thinking when you're heavy, you're not normally uh, straight up to 37,000. It might have been a very light day. He might not have had barely any passengers. I don't know. But uh, I was a bit surprised to see him up at 37 that early. Um, not so you can't get up there. It's just that if you're anticipating some turbulence, you really want to have a bit of a margin, stay a bit lower, and keep the, those two parts of your airspeed indicator, the maximum and the minimum that's safe to fly, give yourself a broader bracket uh, so that you've got more room to maneuver. And, yeah, I, uh, of course, we're in, in hindsight, would have been much better if he'd deviated right of track rather than left because left he put himself into the line of weather. If he'd managed to find a way between uh, those um, uh, bits of convective activity by going right, he would have been into a much safer and clearer area. So I'm wondering how good his essay was uh, about what the weather was doing ahead and or perhaps even how accurate these maps are. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, don't, right. I don't know how if, well it really matches up with what they actually did if he was, you there know. There might be some lag in the, on, the returns. Yeah. And the exactly. But so anyway, you would expect to see perhaps more to the, yeah. Maybe he was out in front of all of it this whole time, you know, if the, there's yeah, a lag in the. might have been. But uh, he did t go left, and I'm assuming this weather's going left to right, as it normally does. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, um, anyway, this, so that's another point. But I do agree with you, Jeff. Uh, you might be in VMC, but it doesn't mean that the turbulence that you're suffering from is clear air turbulence. It could very well have been generated by a, a severe convective activity below you. And people have even been known to go through weather and blame it on clear air turbulence because it's it's a lot more understandable. If you take the plunge into uh, some cloud and you hit some really bad turbulence, that's a bit embarrassing. If you say, "Oh, I was in clear air and it, you know, and it just happened," uh, then you're more likely to get away with it without being questioned too heavily. But um, I, I'm. It would be wrong of me, though, to suggest that these pilots were being disingenuous. That I'm not suggesting right, that, right. but you know, but I do have a. I'm going along with you to a certain extent. There's obviously a lot of weather on their route, and um, to call it all clear air turbulence might not be, you know, hundred percent accurate. Or looking at this uh, profile of uh, the uh, track log, and look at how uh, the the speed rapidly decrease that yellow line uh when they yeah. hit that uh clear air turbulence so i Absolutely. think maybe which you, is why you don't really yeah. want to be up as high as you can get because uh you know you might only have a 20 knot margin between your maximum and minimum speeds and when you when you suddenly lose the amount of speed they have uh that really puts you in a difficult situation and you're going to descend fast whether you want to or not yeah yeah, I think uh, I think you might be on to something there. But uh, anyway, it's, it's a shame that it happened. I don't know. Maybe for me, it's like if, if I'm flying through an area of severe weather, even if I'm on top of it, I'm kind of reluctant, especially if I have a very long flight ahead of me. I think let's just stay in our seats. Let's don't start the meal service right away or the beverage service. Let's wait a little bit until we're clear of all this before we start doing that. Um, but, you know, that's me. 
Um, I'm a little conservative. Yeah, you, you'd be amazed things. how rigid almost the uh, service uh, layout is uh, on an airline like Lufthansa or the one I flew for. Uh, you know, things happen automatically almost as soon as the cabin crew release from their seats. They've all got heaps of stuff out already, prepping everything uh, in order to put it on trays. Uh, you know, there, there's a great deal of work goes on in that first hour, and then you're in the middle of the service to to call a halt to it all, uh, to go through half an hour of weather is a, is a major problem for the cabin crew, and it takes them a considerable amount of time to get everything st safely stowed away again. Of course, you know, <laughs> you uh, it, it, the result of not doing that is a nightmare, as you see on this flight. But, Where did this uh, flight it, depart from? Austin, Texas. Texas. Austin. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, not That's terribly far away. Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not um, terribly far away from um, where this light of weather was. And to your, both your points, a long flight ahead of them. Uh, you think you probably would have just delayed that and said, you know, sorry for the inconvenience, but there's some nasty weather ahead. We're going to get clear of it yeah. before we start moving it, a lot if, of stuff if around. If you knew that on the ground before you went, you would probably Which, be able to, to yes. That did not just pop up out of nowhere. No. Yeah, but yeah. by the time you've got up to height, everything's in full swing down the back. And, uh, you know, it's, it is a real problem to, uh, to get it all stopped and stowed away and then to bring it all out and recommence. Uh, and you, there's a huge amount of inertia in, in amongst the crew to uh, get this major meal service uh, done. I mean, it's obviously doable to stop it, but well, it know, takes a while. This, this risk may have been, may possibly been mitigated or trapped before they even left the ground, you know, as we're kind of suggesting and saying, look, looks yeah. like our path is going to take us over some convective activity. We're probably going to be above it, but it could be still kind of turbulent. So let's go ahead and delay our service. I'll call you and let you know when to start the whole, as you said, exactly right. the whole uh, process. The skipper who did that would get a little golden halo right now because uh, that would have been a great decision, but it's a, it's a tough one. And I mean, I've definitely been that passenger in the back where that announcement has been made and rightfully so. And then you're sitting there for the first 30, 45 minutes of the flight and nothing happens. And you're like, yeah, yeah. So you could, you could be made really to look to a pee. complete dog when, uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's the right when call. Told the it's never not crew. the correct call. Yeah. It's not the right. right. It's always the right call. Just If you're a cautious captain uh, nine times out of 10, that's what's going to happen. You're going to say, well, let's delay the service and then nothing happens. Right. And, I'll usually come on and say, look, better safe than sorry. I, I'm kind of surprised that we didn't encounter any turbulence, but you know, I'm glad we didn't. Sorry for the inconvenience. Now we're going to you know, initiate the beverage and meal service. And yeah. you know what? That was 30 to 45 minutes out of someone's day. A year from now, they're barely going to remember that, if at all. You are so. you are quite right, but you'd be amazed how angry people get when they want to just get their meal done. Oh, I know. Put their head down get and sleep, sleep for the yeah. seven hours they've got left. Yeah, and that's that pressure that it's hard to yeah work around, isn't it? Yeah. All right. 
course, all that is just speculation on our part. You know, perhaps oh, absolutely, it truly yeah. was clear just, turbines. But. I, I, the reason I, I know it is because I've been put in this situation but more than once. And, you know, I, you've just got to shoulder it. That's carry the big, big stripes. You take, make the big decisions. Yep. Uh, John Jester. Hey, John. In our live audience says they should have gotten around it. In the grand scheme, it isn't a big detour to go around through another state. Yeah. Well, hindsight, 2020, right? But oh, yeah, agree, absolutely. John. Yeah. All right. Uh, continuing on, another one from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, you know, I don't even have a canoe, so how am I going to paddle my own? Oh, I don't know. I have a canoe. One, I, guess. Yeah. I have a canoe. Do you? I'll paddle, yep. uh, but it wouldn't be my own canoe, though, Steph. But no. anyway. I digress. Uh, Qantas flight from Los Angeles delayed by three hours after emergency slide accidentally deployed when air crew jiggles the door handle. You know, your toilet is making that (laughs) is running and you got to go over there and jiggle the handle to reseat that little thing to keep the water from trickling through the flapper valve. The flapper valve. (laughs) Well, (laughs) excuse me, it's choking me up just thinking about it. A Qantas flight from Los Angeles to Sydney was reportedly reportedly delayed by more than three hours after one of the emergency slides of the double-deck Airbus A380 was accidentally deployed as the plane was taxiing for takeoff. The incident occurred on Monday night as Qantas Flight 12 was preparing for departure from LAX for its 14-and-a-half-hour flight to Sydney. As the nearly 15-year-old Super Jumbo, has nothing to do with it, uh, was taxiing to the runway, The pilots reportedly received an automated warning in the flight deck that one of the emergency exits was not closed properly. The A380 is fitted with a total of 16 emergency exits. There are six exits on the upper deck, which are all equipped with slide rafts. And on the main deck, there are eight exits fitted with slide rafts and two overwing exits with specially adapted exit slides. As Flight 12 was taxiing to the runway. The pilots received an indication that the emergency exit on the main deck at the back left-hand corner, also known as the M5L door, was not properly locked. One of the aircrew went to physically check the door, and during this examination, eyewitnesses claimed that the crew member jiggled the door handle. That small jiggle movement was enough to activate the emergency slide, which had already been armed in preparation for takeoff. The aircraft then had to be towed back to the gate where the passengers were deplaned so that the slide could be removed by Qantas's engineering team. Aircraft manufacturer Airbus estimates that a three-hour delay incurred as a result of an inadvertent slide deployment could cost Qantas at least $22,000 U.S. Airbus receives around 30 to 40 reports of inadvertent slide deployments on its uh, aircraft every year despite attempts to reduce these types of incidents. Uh, Unlike rival manufacturing, Boeing emergency exit doors on Airbus jets are fitted with a special slide-armed light and buzzer to warn aircrew that the emergency slide is armed and will be deployed if the door handle is raised. These warning devices are not, however, always successful in preventing an inadvertent slide deployment. And then it goes on to talk about some of these uh, recent uh, deployments of slides, including uh, not only uh, A380s, but also Boeing 777s, etc. Uh, so, I don't know. Nick, you um, have experience with the 
Airbus fleet, not the 380, but I'm sure that they're probably very similar to the 330 and 340, uh, the exit door system, um, should have the slide deployed if he just jiggled the handle. I mean, it's in quotes. I'm not sure <laughs> how much he jiggled. Yeah, you know. I define jiggling. Yeah, I mean, I say that all the time when I'm in the in the in the the stall in the uh, bathroom, and they go, "I don't know. Your definition of jiggle is different than mine." Uh, my, some of my old girlfriends would have said the same. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, yeah, um, for a start, the, the, it's an up-down handle, okay, on a big lever, mm -hmm. uh, and it moves um, in excess of two feet to get it from all the way down to wow. all the way up. So um, a, a jiggle is probably um, not sufficient to open the door because you've really got to open the door for it to all activate. Uh, and, of course, if you're going to move the handle at all and you're the slightest bit worried about it, you should safe the door up first. I was thinking, jiggle. yeah, disarm it, right? <laughs> exactly. Disarm it, then have a jiggle, <laughs> and then bang it closed again. And Because and, quite often we've had situations, uh, I have, when uh, a door has suddenly come up amber during the taxi out. By the way, if it happens during flight, the computers ignore it. If the, if it senses that the door is slightly out of position, it usually doesn't indicate, or it usually doesn't cause a major problem. The um, it might indicate, but the warning system will go. Uh, it's just it's it's probably spurious, so ignore it. Anyway, um, yeah. So you've got to move it quite a long way. So, well, excuse me. Safe the door up properly. Don't hit your microphone. And um, there was one other thing I was going to mention. Oh yeah. Don't call a door an emergency exit. I mean, you do use the doors in an emergency as an exit, but they're separate from an emergency exit, which is something like a window, which you can take out, uh, or a door that is only ever used in an emergency. They're truly emergency exits. Um, so these are just ordinary doors, uh, and they act as an emergency exit when you use them in an emergency. Good point. Yeah, don't do that. Paddle your own canoe. Um, <laughs> That's right. All right. Yeah. So be so, careful when I you're mean, jiggling I, I, things. I will cite one situation. We were taxi out in Joburg, and we were a bit late. We didn't mess about. And the L4, the last door on the left, uh, went amber. Uh, and if it happens on the ground and you get airborne, you can't pressurize the airplane. The airplane will refuse to pressurize. So you go, oh, damn, we've got to fix that before we get airborne. Um, so I sent my first officer down there, uh, and he actually managed to free the door up on the taxi. We weren't going very fast, but uh, it was a you know, bit of metal, a, a Coke can or the ring off a Coke can had jammed in the door. He managed to get the door up, cleared it out, closed the door, mm -hmm. rearmed it, uh, all on the way go, which was a brilliant job, but it, uh, in hindsight, I should probably have stopped <laughs> in case he fell out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh now, but I, I've, I've retired, so I don't care. Yeah, you should have taken um, it a little bit easier with that tiller. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> just, just wait till he gets in the doorway. Then. <laughs> Woof the back end around. Yeah, yeah. Well, John Jester, so. again, uh, from our live audience, doors usually have an air charge to open the door. It might not take the full movement to set that off. Well. John, we practice door opening with a 
with the assist bottle, as as it's correctly called, uh, every year when mm. we do SCP training. So you know where about there where it is. There are big rigs with all these doors on them, and you have to practice uh, opening the door normally and opening it in an emergency. So we are usually very familiar, mm. even the pilots who don't do it nearly as often as the cabin crew, uh, with uh, the level of movement and how the door assist works and w what point it activates and all that kind of stuff, which is why I'm a bit suspicious that a okay. wee jiggle would have been uh, sufficient to set it off. I, don't, I think it might have been a little more than that. But, yes, you're quite right. When you lift the handle up bar beyond a certain point and the door unlocks, uh, the power assist will take over and throw the door open. Okay, well, think about uh, possible show titles. I'm thinking jiggling might be <laughs> might be a good one. I don't know. Jiggle, jiggle. Don't jiggle it too much, or don't getting jiggle with it. Getting jiggle yeah. with it. Yeah, so, that's something. But getting getting jiggling with getting, it. getting jiggly with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's continue on, shall we? Uh, with uh, this next item from the oh. Battle your own canoe. Um, $32 million heist leaves two dead in gunfight between raiders and security personnel at Santiago de Chile. De Chile. Chile. <laughs> Help me. Help de me. Chile. Thank you. Airport. Santiago de Chile. Oh, ooh, that sounds nice. All right. Let's uh, see what the big deal is here. I mean, it, was it a big deal? Come on. Oh. I can't believe that guy's just calmly taking video of yes, taking video. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I'd be, like, turning around and I'd be, just speeding off in the other direction. Yeah. Or at least, like, ducked down in the floor. Oh, it's a lady. Oh, this lady's calmly taking video. There's gunfire going off, and they're not that far away from this airplane. Oh, you can see it. <laughs> like, I know. Wow. Amazing. That's incredible. It is. Would have been better if she turned the phone for landscape yes. instead of portrait. Next yeah, time we are photographing an armed robbery, can you? A little <laughs> disappointed by yes. that. Yes. Uh, a heavily armed group of robbers managed to penetrate the perimeter of Arturo Marino Benitez, Benitez International Airport, but were intercepted by armed guards, resulting in a heavy exchange of gunfire on the airport airport tarmac close to the terminal building. The target of the robbers was an aircraft operated by the South American carrier LATAM. LATAM? Didn't Miami Rick work for At uh, one point in the past, yes, he did. I thought he had might have done, yes. Yeah. Which had just arrived in Santiago after an overnight flight from Miami, Florida. Hmm. Oh, well, I never. Miami Rick. On Perhaps board. he was their technical advisor. Which be. side do you think he was on? I don't know, but I'm wondering if he uh, <laughs> was down there for this. On board the aircraft was a shipment of around $32 million in cash, which was mm. being moved to an armored truck operated by Brinks. Videos taken by airport workers and shared on social media showed an intense gun battle. We just heard that uh, breaking out between the robbers and security personnel. Local officials have confirmed the death of one security guard. Just one. I hear all that gunfire wow. thinking. Sounds like about 50 people got so killed. So they're not very good shots. Apparently not. Well, they're about <laughs> as good as a, as a Star Wars stormtrooper, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
very, very saying, tragic that the uh, the pilot that was trying to land the airplane in uh, North Las Vegas maybe <laughs> yes. maybe that's the same family or something I don't know. Uh, could be. <laughs> uh, let's see. The actions of our officials at our institution managed to prevent this criminal act. Hmm? Managed to prevent? Uh, oh, I guess they so they, well, they didn't, didn't get, get away. away with the money. Oh, okay, good. But the high cost of uh, the life of one of our own. That's sad. Uh, let's see. Other videos and po uh, photos posted on social media showed what appeared to be damage caused to a Delta Airlines jet including what appeared to be at least four bullet holes in the aircraft's tail fin. A spokesperson for the Atlanta-based carrier, however, said the aircraft had been extensively examined and no damage was found. As a result, the aircraft will remain in service. Those um, bullet holes were there already, they yeah, said. Yeah. <laughs> Did they really, Liz? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> so let's, All it needed was a roll of speed tape. Is that what well, they say? Let, let's take a I have a little video of the, uh, the Delta jet. I don't know what saying. There's where the Latin jet was. Yeah. And let's take a look at the tail fin of the Delta jet. Okay, come on. Now, it's hard to see in this video, but there are some, some marks on that tail. Uh, so... Anyway, um, maybe they weren't, maybe they were just, you know, like, uh, what do they call that? Um, uh, surface, uh, no, it's just a skin, flesh wound, that's it's it, flesh wound. <laughs> just a flesh wound. <laughs> I mean, it's not a pressurized part of the aircraft, no. uh, the fin, so you're not worried about that. Yep. Speaking of gunfire in airplanes, let's move on to this last item in our news uh, from the Aviation Herald. Uh, Tragana B737-500 registration Papa Kilo Yankee Sierra Charlie performing flight 221 from Jayapura to Yahukima, both in Indonesia, with 66 people on board, was on approach to Yahukimo's, uh, Yahukimo when four gunshots were heard. The aircraft landed without further incident. The aircraft turned around and performed the return flight 222 to Jayapura when during takeoff five gunshots were heard. The aircraft continued to Jayapura for a safe landing on runway 30. Indonesia's police reported four gunshots were heard when the airplane landed arriving from Jayapura. Five more gunshots were heard when the aircraft departed. A At least they're consistent. No, four and five. Okay, that's not consistent. A post-flight inspection after landing back in Jayapura revealed a gunshot hole in the bottom of the fuselage that also penetrated seat 7C. Mm. Ooh, not a good seat to be in. A passenger right. was injured by shrapnel from that gunshot. The police were able to chase the perpetrators and arrested seven people. Further investigation is underway. The aircraft uh, was still on the ground uh, for 14 hours after landing. Uh, the airline also suspended flights to Yahukimo as a result. Yeah, probably a good idea. Wow. wow. What was all that about then? I mean... Did they know the person sitting in seat seven? Do you think uh, that they're that good of a shot? Seven A or whatever uh, it was. Seven um, C, yeah. Liz well, says seven C. It's about there. Boom. Now I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but uh, Liz is saying that it may have uh, been kind of close to where that 
Australian or New Zealander was uh, taken hostage. Um, that was in Papua New Guinea, I thought. Yeah, it was. I don't know where this is. Um, well, it's all about independence from Indonesia, who oh, yeah. apparently claim parts of Papua New Guinea, but I don't know if that's yeah. Maybe I'm coincident. Wrong. I could be Interesting. Wrong. Well, it's no way, Liz. You, there's no way you could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh, but uh, not good. A lot of gunshots and gunfire going on uh, well, these days. They're pretty good shots. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to hit a moving aircraft. No. Nope. I wouldn't have thought. I agree. Yep, they got it. Wow. Wow. Right. Well, I think it might be time now for us to move on to the Getting to Know Us segment. How are those glasses, Steph? Are they getting a pain yet? <laughs> I was, yeah, thinking about taking them off because they're starting to... <laughs> actually, they're not... They're they're not terribly uncomfortable, though. They're just, like, really cheap light frames with... Like, this is, like, felt. So They're, they're very attractive, though, I, I just, have to say. I look super ridiculous in them, especially with this not-so-great camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it makes or, you look the better. Weird camera angle, but... Well then, what happened to my uh, changes in this getting to know us um, note that are not there? (laughs) That's interesting. Hmm. Oh well, maybe I just need to restart Evernote, but doesn't matter. I can remember what I was going to say. I think Um, I did add some couple photos in the um, slides, Mm -hmm. right? You did. Okay, good. Yeah, you want those now? Uh, No. I uh, thought uh, we could maybe start with uh, ladies first. Uh, okay, yeah. If she's available to do that. Oh. Um, for the Yes, I am. And then I, I unfortunately might have to leave kind of early because we've got to turn the, they're going to turn the alarm on at some point. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, maybe we can quickly get, in, get through getting to know us and then go to that uh, piece of feedback, Liz, that. Uh, oh, yeah, we could do that. That has the um, the the, the drama, the acting that we're going to do. Yes, yes, the AI one. Okay, yeah, yeah it'd be got fun, it. kind of fun for staff to be here for that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I can hang out for that probably. But okay. Yeah. At some point. All right. Well, lock up this building. Drama. <laughs> I what can't do I stay forever. Well, just uh, what what number is that, Liz? Uh, so yeah, I don't. So I don't Nick know. Can start looking. I feel like they've. <laughs> I feel like they've. I don't even have access to it, so I'm just going to be surprised. Oh, that's right. She's not going to be able to do it. I, I mean, okay. someone can text me a quick synopsis of what it is that we're. I'll, well, Liz is thinking that we can save I'll it for do the what next I can. Time. Yeah, we can. It, we'll, we'll have fun. Uh, no, just. All right, you know what? I can I okay. can actually copy it and send it to you uh, via text. Yeah, just send it to me, and then I'll and then I'll stick for that, and then I'll. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so, Steph, have you? Uh, hmm. What have you been up to since the last episode? Um, not a ton, actually. Um, mostly just work. I personally did not do any work, work, flying last week. Work, 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 yep. work, work. And man, it's I, it's been busy. I'm usually not at work this late on a Friday, so that tells yeah. you something. Um, you probably didn't notice I was trying to quickly finish up some uh, documentation and stuff. So uh, I think I'm all finished. I got actually a few more things I want to so just quickly look at before a, I head up. Some kind of the, a device, uh, recording device. Yeah, there. it's a, 
yeah. Dictaphone, I guess. Huh? Um, dictaphone. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That always sounds like very brand rude. Name. It does. Say it that. really does. Dictif- dictaphone. dictaphone. <laughs> or, or 242 something or other. <laughs> Um, <laughs> 242. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> sorry. There's so anyone who's listening to this, there's a lot of inside jokes happening right now. And I apologize jokes. that you're not in on it. <laughs> but yeah. no, not uh, no flying for me personally. Um, I did uh, Saturday last week, last weekend. Um, went to finally got to see Come From Away. I had not seen that. I know. Um, I think. Yeah, what'd you think? Fan. The show. It was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, it's, I think we were supposed to see it back in 2020 and then it got the original run that we were supposed to see here in Charlotte either got canceled or postponed or delayed. And it um, finally came back through town and they honored the tickets from before, I think. And yeah, it was, it was good. Um, it was different than I expected it to be for something that's a musical, I guess. Um, I was very impressed, though, with the um, – it's kind of a minimal cast and minimal set <clears> changes. And all of the cast played multiple characters without a lot of, like, costume change happening. But they were so good at changing their accents. You were never oh, wow. confused as to which character they were supposed to be playing. Which was very skill, impressive to it? me because it takes a lot of skill. And uh, it was – it was very well done. I really enjoyed it. And funnier than I expected it to be. There were a lot of, of humor okay. points in it. So, um, yeah, I would highly recommend it. It was a good show. It runs straight through without an intermission, though. So I had to plan my beverage and uh, you know physiologic break appropriately before going into the theater so I wouldn't have to get up. <laughs> but normally I count on that, like, midpoint, go out, refresh your beverage and, you know. Uh, what else did I do? That's about, I mean, honestly, that's, that's it. Not a lot. I did go to, had brunch with the family on Sunday. Uh, went to a nice new place on the lake here, which would be a much better place to go to when it, on a day when it is not gray and rainy because the views would be very nice as it was, it was kind of a cold, wet, rainy, gray day, kind of like today. So, um, have to go back there. The food was very good though. And this was on uh, Lake Wiley? It is on Lake Wiley. Cool. Correct. But much farther north, farther north actually yeah. in uh, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. It's a big lake. Yeah. yeah. And what else? I'm just trying to think if there was anything else interesting that happened in my life. I don't know. Made some purchases on Amazon. I got a new rug for the basement. Area rug. Exciting adult things. Not adult <laughs> Yeah. So, how are the running Adult, shoes? Adulting, adulting things. Um, how are the running shoes? That no, the you running shoes are good. We heard about that yep. on the last episode. How, oh, that's right. That's right. Have the you, running have you shoes tried are good. those out? Uh, I've tried them out, but only on the treadmill so far. Oh, okay. uh, I have not taken them out on the road, but they're very nice. I've run a lot of miles in them on the treadmill so, so far. Hmm. These so are the pink ones. Them. Yeah. I'm not returning them. These are yep. the black and pink ones. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to wear them. I think I'm. I've decided I'm definitely going to uh, do my next marathon in them. Hmm. Which is good, when? Good fit. In a month or five weeks, five weeks from which, Sunday. Which one would that be? In London. Oh, really? That soon already? Ooh. Oh, I guess I'm. London all... is normally in April. Uh, okay. Well, no, it's uh, you're 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 I'm thinking correctly because pandemic. it's been in October for the past two yeah. years. Yeah. Well, very good. Excellent. Well, I hope the weather holds for you. 
Well, we'll find out. Excellent. It's that time of year where it could be kind of anything. So. You're quite right. <laughs> I was thinking back to I was talking to someone else about it the uh, uh, earlier this week, and the year that I ran Boston in the rain, London was held six days later, and a lot of people ran both of those races, so they went from like a forty degree Fahrenheit rainy day, really just miserable. And it was like the warmest marathon on record for London six days later, like 80 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. So I those people it. were just all over us. Yeah. Mm. All right, Steph. Thanks. Um, Captain Nick. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, I think I have less to talk about than Captain Nick does. So I'll go next. Um, sure. The uh, let's see. Since the last episode, I, we recorded that. And then I ended up, uh, I think I flew a trip. And a two-day trip, and then after I came home from that, actually, I didn't come home. I stayed at the airport and uh, ended up driving down to Mobile, Alabama, which is where I went to high school, uh, class of 77. But there was a reunion for class of 75, 76, 77, 78, and 79, I think, or maybe not that many, but like four or five uh, years of graduating classes, um, and uh, got to I was reunited with um, a couple of my fellow trumpet-playing friends. Uh, there we go. There is a shot of us uh, in a Panera Bread Company uh, pretending as if we were playing our trumpets. That's and, your famous glass trumpets, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, and uh, so that's uh, Billy uh, in the middle there and Stan on the right and uh, – and of course me. And then the next one is just showing us in a normal pose. Uh, again, in the, uh, we had breakfast on Saturday morning at Panera bread and it was so great to see people that I haven't seen and seen in over 40 years and, uh, getting reestablished, you know, the, as far as friendships and getting all caught up with lives and, you know, marriages and kids and grandkids and all that jazz. So, it was a lot of fun. Did you have any trouble on that trip just before you Did went I to Mobile? Did I have any Mobile trouble Jeff? on that trip before? With yeah, well, yeah. So I, uh, on that trip, that two-day trip, the day, uh, Thursday, uh, Brent and I just deadheaded to Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, instead of, I, I wore my jacket. You know, I should have listened to Brent. He said, don't, you know, just don't wear your jacket because, you know, we're not required to now because we're in the summer uh, uniform phase or, or time frame and i'm thinking well you know i like to be comfortable and it might be a little chilly so i wore my jacket and uh so we got on the airplane i'm thinking i'm just gonna hang it in the coat closet which is up there and you know just a forward of first class i asked if it was okay to, to do that and the flight attendant said sure and then on the way out i grabbed my jacket from the coat closet because i mean who else might have a jacket in the coat closet other than me <laughs> Uh, and, uh, about, uh, eight 30 that night, I get a text from the first officer who was flying that airplane and said, Hey, I think that you have my uniform jacket and I have yours with your ID. <laughs> oh, no. And I didn't know that. Yeah. So I got on the, I, I put the jacket on. I was in the van going from the Jackson airport to the hotel. The only thing that was a slight clue that I should have like thought, well, why is that? Is I felt like the sleeves were a little bit longer than normal, but I didn't think anything of it. Of course, if I looked down at the sleeves, I would have seen three stripes instead of four. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> but, and I would have maybe put my hand over my 
heart area of my jacket and said, where's my ID? Uh, and obviously this person is smart and doesn't put, leave his ID card, you know, pinned to his, uh, affixed to his jacket. I do though. And, uh, so I thought, okay, well, that's going to be interesting. How am I going to get through security tomorrow morning? So, uh, the next day, so we kind of arranged a way of getting each other's, uh, uniform item back to Atlanta and, uh, figuring out a way to, you know, to be reunited with those, those pieces. Uh, but for me, I had to, uh, get a special gate pass. Once we got to the Jackson airport in the morning, got through security, had to go through regular security. I couldn't do the, uh, known crew member, uh, thing. And, uh, then I had just had to stay in secure areas. I couldn't do any walk arounds. Oh, Brent had oh, to do uh, all the walk arounds. <laughs> what a shame. Yeah. What about getting your car? When well, you so then I'm thinking, how am I going to get out to my car? Because to get on the bus, from the airport terminal to the secure parking lot, they always look at my ID card. And if, if you don't have an ID, they're not going to let you on the bus. I'm thinking, Oh, how am I going to get to that? <laughs> well, I'll just, I'll just fly down to mobile and worry about it. Once I get back to uh, Atlanta, because my, the, the guy that was on the trip that had my jacket said, I'm not getting back through. He was in Charlotte, by the way, overnight. He wasn't getting back to Atlanta until like nine o'clock that night. And that's not going to work out for my schedule. So I think I'll just worry about this later. But uh, then I realized that the flight that I had listed on to fly down to Mobile was getting very full. It was a CRJ 900 uh, operated by Endeavor or SkyWest. And I'm thinking, well, no problem. I'll just ride the jump seat. I can't ride the jump seat because I don't have an ID. <laughs> Without an ID. Yeah. So I thought, okay, yeah. I guess I'm driving. So I, I, so how did I get to the parking lot? Well, I, I, I talked with the people in the chief pilot office and said, Hey, how do I get to the parking lot? Cause I don't have an ID. And they said, well, we're going to have to take you there. So I got in one of the chief pilot office vehicles and, uh, we drove all the way to the employee parking lot and and it was kind of a hassle getting into the parking lot they had to take my driver's license and hold on to it until i exited the parking lot and uh anyway we got it all sorted out and then on my way to mobile and then uh, i didn't worry about it until i flew a little i uh, picked up a overnight uh just uh, uh last well night before last and uh i got there just barely in time to get through security without my ID with a gate pass and got there before all the people in the chief pilot office were going home at five o'clock. And, uh, they es escorted me down to the lounge and I found my jacket with my ID card and thinking, oh. yeah, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to pay. I was going to say, how many years since you did that last time? Well, that was the first time in 34 plus years. So <laughs> well, another 34 years. And then now I only yeah, have less first than and last. <laughs> well, if you can manage to do it a few more times between now and retirement, then that'll really be well, a feat. No, I'm not doing it again. It's obviously an indication of your mental decline. But Obviously. Uh, <laughs> Actually, that's probably true. That's probably true. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking maybe I Maybe I am too old to do this. <laughs> just retire. Just get it over with. Anyway, so uh, that was my little story. Thank you for reminding me of that, uh, Liz, all the pain uh, that I had Later. to go through. Um, that's it for me. So, um, Captain, Nick. Captain Nick, you've been busy. 
Uh, oh, yes, sir, I have. Um, I've been across to the Isle of Wigget, um, hmm. which is a Never bit of a of joke. Uh, there was, <laughs> there was a, there was a, uh, a spoof um, cop um, show, uh, but actually an advertisement on our TV, and this um, American cop kept calling it the Isle of Wigget, uh, the Isle of Wight, um, uh, to give a talk. And uh, it was great fun. Um, the the kind um, organization, the uh, Royal Aeronautical Society, produces flyer. And I was giving what is now my uh, good starting talk, Chasing Bears and a Phantom, uh, to them. Um, they were a really nice bunch, uh, and they uh, paid for some excellent accommodation. So uh, they put me up uh, in Albert Cottage, which is a hotel now. Queen Victoria and Albert, Prince Albert, uh, in the mid-1850s, 40s and 50s, um, they both loved uh, their estate they had on the Isle of Wight um, at a place called uh, Osborne, Osborne Estate, and they had a beautiful accommodation there. But um, Albert built two cottages uh, on the edge of the estate uh, to house their guests and also for them to use if they wanted a bit of a break from the formality of the palace. And this was one of the cottages uh, called Albert House. And uh, it, it's just fantastic. Uh, it's quite a little hotel. Uh, it's only got 10 rooms. It's a boutique place, but uh, very pretty. Uh, and um, it, this was the sort of hotel um, guest lounge with this fantastic model yacht in it. I was quite intrigued by Where's that. Where's the uh, bottle it's supposed to be in? A very large bottle, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the house. The house is <laughs> okay. the large bottle. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and uh, they they brought up their kids on this estate, uh, and they used to, uh, you know, go and play house here, I guess, in uh, this. And um, the two cottages quite some distance apart, so he built a, a, a flagstone corridor, this huge long stone corridor between the two, so that the queen could go and visit her guests in either cottage without getting wet when she walked between the two. Anyway, it was a, uh, a lovely spot, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It was very generous of them uh, to do that. The bed was uh, all very period. Um, the, the only problem I have with beds with footboards is that I'm generally longer than the bed, so my feet hang over the end of the mattress, which is something you can't do when you've got a footboard. So there you go. It wasn't That's a California that. king, I guess. No, it wasn't. No, definitely not. It was probably perfect for Queen Victoria, who was notoriously short. But um, there you go. Um, anyway, um, I've got a little video uh, of me starting up uh, this talk. So uh, it's a little bit on the ferry, which I found quite amusing. So let's get... Emergencies happen very rarely, but you need to know our safety procedures. If there is an emergency... You will hear seven or more short blasts, followed by one long blast. Blast! <laughs> yes. uh, it's Nick here, and I'm here with the Royal Aeronautical Society on the Isle of Wight with their chairman, uh, who is called Ian, and uh, I'm about to give the talk, Ian. So indeed you are. Absolutely. Pleasure to meet you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Very kind of you to come, and we're looking forward to it. I hope we have some reasonable comments particularly from people like this horrible... Oh, gone the wrong way. You can tell I haven't had this very long. Look, there's Richard. 
<laughs> say a word, Richard. Oh, no, I don't know what to say. But, uh, I managed to get you down here, which is brilliant. You did. Oh, you did indeed. I think they're in for a real treat tonight. Brilliant. I hope so. I hope it works well. All right, brilliant. Uh, let me see if I can get... Oh, that's Richard's uh, lovely wife. Yes, I'm assuming. Um, that's right. Right. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a beer with you later. Um, me too. Uh, and um, <laughs> let's get on with the show. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Back to you in the studio, Jeff. That's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, Ian actually um, is an ex-Air Force uh, pilot. Uh, he graduate of the Empire Test Pilot School, so he's a TP, a test pilot. Um, very nice chap, Ian Young. Uh, and uh, Graham Thomas, I need to mention him, the secretary and treasurer who did all the organization. I've never been to a, a better organized uh, do. Um, the Aeronautical Society on the island actually became so small it wound down. And a few years ago, it was restarted by some uh, younger chaps. And it's now grown to a very impressive uh, monthly attendance. We had 109 members attend uh, for this talk that I gave uh, and that's not been their largest audience but you know one off so that was brilliant anyway the talk went very well I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, we went out for a lovely meal afterwards and um, they gifted me a beautiful print of Spitfires uh, over the island painted by a local artist called uh, Ivan Berryman uh, and called the Guardians of the Rock. And uh, I got in touch with uh, uh, Ivan uh, this afternoon uh, to see if I could use uh, a picture of his uh, painting that I have uh, I have a print of. And uh, he said yes. And so I've got this beautiful framed print, uh, which you can just see there. You've seen it a couple of times. There's mine, but it's uh, all ready to be put on the wall. So thank you very much indeed. Uh, I'm delighted that uh, Ivan is such a good artist. It's a fabulous looking print. I'm very pleased to have received it as a gift. It was absolutely lovely and a great surprise. Um, and um, Liz has already put up uh, Ivan's uh, details. He is an amazing aviation artist. He doesn't do just aviation subjects, but that is one of his mainstays. And uh, you can find his website at uh, ivanberrymandirect.com. Uh, and so if, uh, you know, if you're looking to uh, think of a gift for someone, he does a selection of fabulous prints. So for a starting price of a mere £6,000, you can have your own individual painting commissioned. And I'm sure that's a fantastic mm -hmm. job. Yeah. Uh, so that... Yeah, that was great. I got back on the ferry about lunchtime and uh, uh, headed home, and now it's the evening. So that's been my. Oh, hello. We've got motion at the front door. Uh oh. Hmm. Just having a quick look. That seems suspicious for whatever time it is there now. It is, uh, but we do have Nine, some fox 9 47 p.m. Um, are, uh, yeah, that are very keen to come and wander through our. Uh, front garden. I don't know quite why. That but, would be, uh, that little alert would go off all the time at my house. Dear, <laughs> dear, dear. Yes, I, I, dear, <laughs> I know. Dear. Poor you. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. So it uh, looks like uh, Richard Adams in our in our uh, live audience uh, saw you there. 
So it's great to meet you. Nick. Sorry, I just. <laughs> Let's watch the video again, shall we? Let's see. Probably just. There we go. <laughs> I just let my iPad, uh, it dropped over onto my keyboard and set it off. <laughs> but yes, I, I need to mention that uh, it was Richard's idea that uh, they asked me to come give them the talk. So he pestered and uh, bothered them until they uh, finally accepted mm -hmm. uh, his advice. He said it was so a record very attendance. Kind of you, Richard. Sorry? There was a record attendance. Uh, close. Apparently there was some Vulcan driver that got oh. one more uh, attendee than mine. Oh. He made 110, uh, Graham oh, wow. informed me. Uh, so I didn't quite make a record in 10, but oh, well. close. Darn close. Uh, I'm not claiming the record, but I'm they've already asked me if I would be willing to go back next year and do another one. Uh, and they were so kind because they invited Jilly over as well. Uh, nice. They were going to uh, have uh, you know us both over, but sadly, nice. Jilly couldn't make it. Yeah. Now, how about the cover art? All right. What well, about what the cover art? Gonna say? From oh uh, yeah, last uh, I don't want to go on too long. Uh, yeah, uh, we. <laughs> it was still a bit of a hot mess, wasn't it? Uh, mm -hmm. Sort of run over from the previous shows. So, in the theme of uh, the Bride of uh, Frankenstein, <laughs> we had the Bride of Hot Mess. Uh, was and I was again using this. Uh, amazing um, program, uh, midjourney.com. Uh, and uh, I must admit, they, it dreams up some amazing artwork. So uh, I was quite, I, I, I added the scar and the bolt through the neck. Uh, but other than that, it's, uh, it's all dreamed by, up by artificial intelligence. I think it's very clever. Yeah. And apparently, uh, midjourney likes to do stitches like it's a baseball on her forehead well that's uh, i mean i put the stitches there and you're Nick quite right it, it was in fact the stitches off a baseball oh so you did colored that. red with a blood, okay blood, drop of cool. blood there i couldn't find real stitches ah, anywhere. oh okay. i probably could have helped you with that you probably could have done uh but yeah. there you go i have to do these in short order sometimes understand yeah all right very nice well thank you very much for that um, just quickly, Steph, if, if we still have a, enough time, we can, or I could always go back to the coffee fund if you'd rather. If um, you don't mind, the no, cleaners mind. are here and I need to get okay. out of their way and they would like to set the alarm okay. after I leave. So, so she needs I'm to go. sorry that I turn into a, yes, I'm sorry. I was hoping to stay for longer, but well, yeah. I, I sent her the, uh, script Liz. Um, so in your, uh, in your, uh, messages, I got it. Okay. I got it. And, I still really um, have no idea what this is actually about, but I'll be surprised. <laughs> really, nobody does. Uh, <laughs> okay. But it's going to be, I just thought it'd be fun. So my to apologies do. to everyone watching live for us going out of order and jumping ahead to feedback here so I can do this one. So. All right. So uh, from uh, Andrew, this is some feedback from Andrew. And he said, in the spirit of having AI run the show, I had Bing Chat, which is run by ChatGPT, write you an episode. The story doesn't make much sense. Of course, they don't normally anyway. Uh, I think it has two different flights, but it's still hilarious to read. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how this thing created this this drama, this uh, uh, this theater for uh, our show, and uh, and how it thought it things would go when we do our show. And uh, so, I'm going to start um, as he mentioned. It seems like it was more than one flight, and apparently things weren't going well. 
And we're going to just start up from the point, Nick, uh, at which, uh, I don't know, it was about halfway down, maybe a little bit more, where I, um, uh, as Captain Jeff continued, uh, apparently we had a problem with the airplane, uh, the 717, with uh, hydraulics and um, with an engine uh, that ended up uh, having to be shut down because of an oil leak or something. And so now we're in that phase of the flight where we're coming in for landing from our emergency. And so I'm going to be Captain Jeff. Um, who, uh, Liz, do you want to uh, join us in the uh, video? Oh, and you can be on, Dana. I get every note up. Hang on just a okay. sec. So she's going to. Give me a sec. Ah, she doesn't have the script. I don't, she's, I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Okay. She's getting it. And then she's going to pop into our. This Hey, folks, we're, we're just winging it here. This is kind of like a, <laughs> I sprung this on the crew. I haven't quite know. found where we're starting. Okay, this um, has been a very uh, theater-oriented uh, week for me. I went to the theater. I get to participate in some acting here. So, so uh, there's like one uh, page, and then there's another page, and then the third page down uh, about halfway through that. I say, well, we lined up at the runway center line and aimed for the touchdown zone. It says, Captain Jeff continued in parentheses. Um, I feel right. like we need some suspenseful oh, music yep, for it. this. Okay. What's that now? Stuff? We need some suspenseful music for oh, this. Oh, we do? Okay. Well, like I dramatic, dramatic music. I didn't have any dramatic music. Maybe I can add that in post. In post, yeah. Okay. So here we are. We have this multiple emergency situation going on. Okay. And... uh Liz, you're going to read uh, Dana's part. Okay, I still haven't got where you're starting. Not yet. Okay, We're about uh, maybe three quarters of the way down. Um, I'm understandably nervous. Approached yeah. Atlanta. Okay, we'll keep going. Another engine. As we get closer it's past to the, the run. engine problem. Okay. And uh, lined up for the runway. Okay, got yep. it. Got okay. It. All right, you ready? Ready. <laughs> this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> okay. Well, we lined up with the runway center line and aimed for the touchdown zone. We flared slightly at about 50 feet above ground level and touched down smoothly on our main wheels. Wow, you did it! Amazing! You landed safely. Incredible! You pulled it off! Thank you! But we still had one more thing to do. We had to stop the plane before running out of runway. How did you do that? What did you use? How much runway did you have left? Well, we used our remaining brakes, spoilers, speed brakes, and reverse thrust as much as we could, but they were not enough to slow us down quickly enough. <gasps> oh no, what then? <laughs> did you overrun the runway? Did you crash into something? Well, we didn't overrun, or overrun the runway or crash into anything, but we did have a close call. What do you mean? <laughs> what happened? How close was it? Well, as we were approaching the end of the runway, we saw a large fence and a busy road ahead of us. We knew we wouldn't be able to stop before hitting them. Oh no, that's terrible. That's horrifying. That's terrifying. <laughs> yes, it was. But then we saw something that saved us. It was a large ditch that ran parallel to the road. It was filled with water and mud. A ditch? Water and mud? How did that save you? Well... We decided to steer the plane towards the ditch and hope for the best. We figured it would act as a natural break and cushion for our impact. Uh, you survived? Oh, no, wait no, a minute. that sounds risky. <laughs> <laughs> you su I lost it here. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's, that sounds risky. 
Sounds desperate. That sounds crazy. <laughs> it was all those things, but it worked. <laughs> we veered off the runway and plunged into the ditch. The water and mud slowed us down and absorbed most of the force of our collision. Wow, you survived. Amazing. You made it. Incredible. You did it. <laughs> did it. Thank you. We did survive and make it, but we were not out of danger yet. Mm -mm. <laughs> we still had to evacuate the plane before it caught fire or sank into the ditch. <laughs> How did you do that? What did you use? Uh, how long did it take? Well, we used our emergency slides and rafts to get everyone <laughs> out of the plane as quickly. It's a big ditch, a lot of water. Okay. Uh, as quickly as possible. We also had help from the firefighters and paramedics who arrived on scene shortly after our landing. Thank goodness for them. Yeah, they're awesome. Indeed, they were lifesavers. Yes, they were. They helped us evacuate everyone safely and treated any injuries or illnesses on site. Fortunately, there were no serious casualties or fatalities among our crew or passengers. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, thank heavens. <laughs> Applause. <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, brilliant. APG players. That's what we <laughs> just have. Uh, yes. yes, take a bow. Take Definitely a bow, not ready for prime time. <laughs> hey, not on. bad for our first chance our first try. That was, that was oh, a right. first first read through. That was yeah. the first read through. There was yeah. a lot of Absolutely. drama there. Oh, it was. Yeah. Well, there was, there was a lot of explaining from the rest of us. In, we all speak in exactly the same order throughout. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, exactly the same order and very similar cadence and, mm -hmm. and exclamations. Yep. All expressing more or less the same thing in a different way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Correct. At, at the very beginning of this, again, this is chat. This is computer stuff. Um, Captain Jeff, hello and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff Nielsen, your host for this episode. Joining me today are my co-hosts. First Officer Dana Colton, played by Liz, uh, your uh, a, a former re a former regional pilot who now flies for Acme Airlines. Doctor Steph Plummer, an aviation medical examiner and commercial pilot. Hmm. Oh, oh, did I got you promoted. know that? And <laughs> Captain Nick that. Anderson, a retired RAF and three forty A three forty captain. It's interesting oh, how the, it comes up with yeah. all this stuff. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. funny. Oh, that was fun. Oh. Well, you so need to go, Steph, so before they yes, lock I you Yes, I got to go. Bed. So these, I, yeah, I I, well, mostly I don't want them to set the alarm before I leave because then I will set it off. Oh, yeah, out. There's no that. way to stop right. that. So I got to go. Have a right. good weekend. Right. Bye. Bye. Sorry. Bye. Cheers, Steph. Thanks for hanging around. Uh, gentlemen, before I go, you're just at the hour and a half mark, just so you know. Okay. Okay. Thank Bye. You. That was fun. <laughs> uh, that was indeed. And I found out what was going across my uh, ring doorbell. And it looks like a spider's web. Oh. A spider's web. That's threatening. Yeah. Okay. There's a spider making Scary. building a web in front of my ring doorbell. Hmm. Do you want to loop back to the coffee fund, Jeff? Yeah. Let's loop back to the coffee fund. And are you still seeing Steph's image there? I am. I'll remove yep. her. There. Okay. There we not, go. No, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Liz just took care of that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about the coffee fund and I do that by pressing this button here. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea 
and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Coffee fund. That's, by the way, that's Jeff Smith singing that wonderful jingle. Uh, the coffee fund is your way to support the show financially. A couple different ways, two days, two ways, unless you just buy me a cup of coffee when you see me. Uh, one is the coffee fund classic method. And uh, since the last episode, we have a couple of folks who made a one time or periodic donation. Richard Adams. Hey, that guy Thank you, Richard. that was responsible yeah. for having Nick. Uh, show up there at that uh, wonderful talk in the Isle of Wigget and uh, Marty Edwards. So thank you to you both. Uh, again, the Coffee Fund Classic Method. You can do recurring donations using that uh, mechanism uh, that's usually uh, set aside for like one-offs and two-offs and that kind of thing. Every once in a while kind of donations. Again, thank you for using that. The best way if you're going to do recurring donations is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And since the last episode, we have a new producer, a new patron, Adam, 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 Adam. What am I talking about? Adam Adam. Dunn. Uh, He probably, nobody's ever pronounced his name like that before, but I did. Adam Dunn, thank you very much for becoming a producer of our show at Patreon. We do appreciate it. If you want to learn more about how you can also join the coffee fund, uh, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did, and we will too. And now it's time for us to do some more feedback. Captain, incoming message. Uh, some more feedback here. We're going to start with uh, Andy. Uh, hello, APG crew. What are just some common courtesies you can have? while out on the ramp with other planes, either inside or outside or out of your company. For example, in the GA world, if you're a student pilot, uh, not to, let's see, if you're a student pilot, not to block a taxiway for your run up. Okay. That would be a courtesy, uh, or in the driving world, letting someone in the intersection go before you also curious. What are some a-hole moves out on the ramps and taxiways by those not-so-thoughtful pilots? Thank you all very kindly for your show. It means a lot to us. Cheers, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Um, let's see. Courtesies, common courtesies. But, you know, a lot of what we do out there when we're taxiing our airplanes on ramps and on taxiways is very, very regimented. Uh, we can't do anything really without clearance, uh, somebody telling us what to do. Uh, so there's not a heck of a lot of, unless you're on an uncontrolled ramp. Remember that story not too long ago where I think it was, uh, was it Austin Bergstrom Airport where the uh, Virgin flight uh, was, was there and uh, the Southwest flight uh, pushed back in front of them on the ramp. That was an example of an uncontrolled ramp and had the tug driver of the Southwest jet, uh, been courteous. He may have waited for the Virgin, uh, flight to, uh, to get by. Uh, but, uh, but they didn't. Uh, so that, that's uh, kind of an example of when courtesy may have been, uh, exercised, but wasn't, um, in in my world, uh, on occasion, we'll be uh, at smaller uh, airports 
where things are kind of uncontrolled and, and we'll just say, Hey, you know, on the radio, go ahead. You know, we're going to, we have to do something else anyway, so that they can go ahead of us if they're ready to go that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, not a heck of a lot of opportunity for really courtesy, uh, on our own, uh, because it's so regimented, um, perhaps, uh, Captain Nick might have an example of it or, Oh, yeah. I remember my first Chicago, it had been snowing a lot, so the taxiways were really slippery, full of slush and snow. And uh, I got cleared out of the ramp onto a series of taxiways, and I stuck my nose out of the ramp, was promptly cut up by a Southwest 737 who barged ahead of me. Awesome. <laughs> I literally had to this is a theme. bang the brakes on and everyone <laughs> fell over. Because all the cabin crew were out doing this, their oh, demos. No. Uh-huh. So they're all standing up in the aisle, putting on life. And they all fell over. Um, so that was a case of the opposite. Um, uh, but one of the few things we used to do, and you're quite right, you, you can't just... Uh, decide to uh, change the order and let someone through, the New York controllers would have got harpic. <laughs> They'd have gone round the bend mm-hmm. if you'd suddenly decided to let someone out of a taxiway and take a spot in front of you. They'd have <laughs> right. <laughs> they'd probably sent you the sin bin. You'd never get out again. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they, uh, they you'd often uh, give a, a – when you were pushed back out of a parking spot, because in Heathrow, for example, the the parking spots are very precious. Um, you're often asked to do a long push so that you could let someone into your parking spot before you started taxing because uh, to stop a, a delay, to let them get onto their stop and get their passengers off while mm-hmm. you were finishing starting your engine. So that's one of the few things I, I can really think of uh, other than – Perhaps um, refusing a, a, a takeoff clearance because you were worried that it might um, send the person on short finals around. Hmm. You know, that's the sort of thing we were discussing last week. That never and, happens. Uh, you'd look up and you'd go, you know, I might not be quick enough and because uh, I've got a new first officer mm-hmm. and perhaps it was his leg and he was taking things slowly. Uh, you might say, no, we'll wait for this guy to land. That would be one of the few th- right. things I could think of. Yeah, that's true. I, I my last little overnight that I got back from uh, yesterday uh, was uh, with a, a new pilot with for us, and so still getting used to all the flows and you know the uh, the operations. And uh, you know, in in that case, courtesy is extended to my first officer by saying, "Hey, if you need some more time, some extra time, just let me know. If you feel like I'm going too fast or I'm rushing things." Just say, hey, can you can you slow things down a little bit, or would it be okay if we started the engine a little bit earlier than normal? And, and oh, absolutely, yeah, go ahead and let's do that. You know, let's go ahead and start up both engines. Uh, we did that uh, you know, yesterday morning uh, in Columbia. You know, normally an experienced crew member, we could just wait until we were much closer to the end of the runway before we started the second engine. But I knew that by starting both of them, you know, shortly after pushback was going to be something that was going to build some more time into the thing and not leaving him feeling rushed. And when you're rushed in this job, it's not a good thing because you're likely to forget something that might be very critical. So um, That's exactly right. You want to let the guy get confidence uh, by doing things at his own pace. He'll speed up naturally as he uh, gets a bit more practice. 
All right. Thanks for the question, Andy. Was that Andy Harris, Liz? It was. Yes, okay. sir. Again, good seeing him up in uh, Dayton uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, let's continue with this from Sam. Uh, let's see. The Boeing Sam 737 Bolog. that's been transformed into a luxury private villa. Uh, CNN.com is where this is from. Uh, a, a villa. Uh, what did I say? A villa? A villa. Bob Vila. Uh, from returning to the sky and new livery to fly for another airline to being recycled for parts or moving an aircraft boneyard, uh, the possibilities for retired aircraft are, re- are seemingly endless. Some have been converted into restaurants, museums, cafes, and even party venues. But this private jet turned luxury villa located on a clifftop near Nyangyang Beach on the Indonesian island of Bali may be one of the most beautiful aircraft transformations to date, formerly part of the now defunct Mandala Mandala Airlines fleet. The retired Boeing 737 was purchased by developer Felix Demin back in 2021 and transported to its remote location. Uh, he shared a series of renderings of the unique property. What we're showing, uh, it will be in the show notes and also on the video here, is uh, renderings of the uh, planned, yeah, you know, the planned of the the planned look and uh, setup of this yeah. seven thirty seven villa, uh, featuring two bedrooms, a swimming pool, the private jet villa by Hanging Gardens, which sits one hundred and fifty meters above sea level, is available to rent from April with nightly rates starting at around seven thousand dollars. Wow. Wow. That's that's a lot of money for that's a more night. More expensive than flying halfway around the world in first class. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. Wow. Maybe However, maybe uh, um, Captain Nigel can check yeah. it out when next time he's in Bali. That's right. Uh, Captain Nigel uh, has a place in Bali. Um, I wonder if this is. Do you think that he has something to do with this, Nick? I don't know. Um, maybe he can uh, give us an on location so tour somehow. He, he's very happily um, retired from the airline industry. I don't mm-hmm. think he wants to relive. Uh, and, and it's an Airbus. Anyway, he was very much a Boeing chap. Yeah. Well, actually, in the renderings, it says. Uh, it, it, oh, it, it was a Boeing. Yeah. So I was saying the same thing to Liz earlier when we were going through right. the uh, pre show briefing. Oh. I'm thinking, well, it says a 737, but it certainly doesn't look like a 737. That looks like an Airbus to me. <laughs> it does so. a bit. And I must admit, if I was going to spend that amount of money, doing this i would actually pick a wide body because yeah, you know I would you get the space and use it 737 is quite a small airplane yeah it's not it's like a little over 10 feet i think you uh, can't have massive shoulders yeah, sure. it's not exactly roomy no it, it is not but it's it kind of cool i guess for it's like a definitely a niche yeah. kind of thing and um, the trouble is that aircraft that spend their entire life not flying and out in the weather all the time they get pretty tatty pretty quickly mm-hmm. they need a lot of maintenance to keep them looking good yeah they do all right well that's cool. interesting Next. continuing on with uh something from anonymous uh this anonymous person has some knowledge of the situation hmm okay hello crew mm-hmm. uh, one i want to provide some feedback regarding your discussion in episode 554 of the news item, TSA confiscated record number of guns from airline passengers in 2022. I've been listening to APG for a few years now and really enjoy it. 
I am a third generation pilot. And while I've never flown commercially, I have a multi-engine and instrument rating. And I'm also an A&P mechanic. As a teenager, I was a gas boy at a small airport and have worked at my, uh, an airport my entire adult life, including a stint at a major legacy airline at a hub. I also have some experience working for a large security agency, and since I'm not authorized to speak for said agency, I must remain anonymous. Regarding the story on TSA, first, the headline is misleading. TSA does not confiscate anything, especially firearms. When encountering run-of-the-mill prohibited items, the TSA agent should always offer the passenger options to dispose of the item, such as placing it in a checked bag, mailing it home, etc. If the options given are not viable to the passenger, they can opt to voluntary, voluntarily abandon the item and TSA will dispose of it appropriately. When it comes to firearms, after a gun is discovered, the local law enforcement is called and the situation is turned over to them. Law enforcement protocol varies widely, widely by location and is usually governed by the law of the state they're operating in. The less likely scenario, in some states, passengers are arrested and law enforcement takes charge of the firearm for disposition. However, in many locations, the more likely scenario, passengers with firearms are not arrested and they are not uh, and they are allowed to choose the disposition of their firearm, such as putting it in their car or handing it off to a non-flying friend or family member. TSA does follow up later with the gun-toting passenger, cowboy. Oh, I should have had that ready to go, shouldn't I? See if I can find my Yahoo. That might be one of those things where, yeah, I can't, I don't have that uh, restored yet. Oh, well, you'll have to Impost. use your imagination. Yeehaw! Uh, and they usually face steep... So okay, I'm going to say that sentence again. TSA does follow up later with a gun-toting passenger, cowboy, and they usually face steep fines for their transgression. I think that Captain Jeff had it right when he surmised that busy airports and more cowboy-friendly areas of the country net more gun fines at the checkpoints. However, I bristled at the suggestions that ATL was just better at finding guns than everyone else. And <laughs> I think we're kind of joking, but I'm not sure. And that a shockingly high number of guns make it through without being detected. To be sure, TSA has earned some of the criticism that they garner from the media and the public. I also know that the vast majority of TSA agents are very dedicated to their jobs and take their responsibility quite seriously. Thanks again for a great show. I recognize that producing a good show takes a certain amount of storytelling and opinion making. <laughs> yeah, it does. Thanks for indulging me in straightening the record just a bit. Keep up the good work. Signed, anonymous fan with some knowledge of the situation. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's always good to hear someone with uh, who actually knows what's going right. on. Right. <laughs> because we do a lot of surmising, uh, obviously, uh, but uh, it's nice to get uh, facts from the factory floor, as it were. It, it certainly is. It really is. And that's, that's I think, what makes uh, the show so engaging for us is the fact that we have an audience that uh, doesn't hesitate to correct us when we need to be corrected. Oh. And we do pr appreciate oh, absolutely. that. Yeah. There's an awful lot of knowledge out there. We have only a fraction. That's, That's right. Great. If we combined everyone's knowledge, we'd make a great pilot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's that's uh, you know the the show is just as much yours as it is ours. Uh, you people listening and uh, sending us some feedback, we do appreciate it. 
Tim Van Ram says, if caught with going through uh, with a gun going through TSA in Texas, they let you return it uh, to your saddle or friendly <laughs> but slow cut sidekick. <laughs> okay, really, thank you for that information. Some knowledge of the situation uh, from Tim Van Ram. Exactly, that sidekick called Hop Along, perchance. Uh, yeah, Hop Along, something like Cassidy. that. Yeah, and I thought Tim. I didn't realize that he had uh, experience uh, in uh, in Texas, but I thought it was just a Northern California guy. But wow! Oh, that's right. He there was in go. Texas. Had to drive home uh, during the Southwest meltdown. That's right. Good point. Okay. Now I'm wondering: was it really the Southwest meltdown that caused him to have to drive home? Yeah. Or was it the yeah. uh, firearm it's that he was carrying? Ah, that's right. Yes. He might have been toting his guns. Could be. All right. Uh, some more feedback. This is uh, from Radio Roger, our, uh, our intro guy at the beginning of the show. Hi, everybody. I wanted to comment on the discussion in episode 558 regarding if and when a captain should disclose an engine issue to the passengers. I was a passenger in that very situation. I was flying from Europe to JFK in a DC-10 when at some point, I don't know when, the flight crew had to shut down the center engine. As we got closer to our destination, the captain made a PA informing us about the situation and explaining that he was alerting us because we would see fire engines along the runway. He was absolutely reassuring, telling us that they practiced this in the simulator all the time. I realize now that this being a center engine, we still had symmetrical thrust, and this was probably a simple landing. Touchdown felt perfectly normal. The passengers were calm, and I think that the captain handled this perfectly. Take care. This is Radio Roger, over and out. Yeah, perfect example of uh, how to handle this situation. Yeah. Uh, no point waking people up in the middle of the night so they can sit and worry if your intention is to carry on to your destination. Uh, and he, I think he did the perfect job. Yeah. I do too. All right. Well done by that captain. Thank you, Radio Roger, for the feedback. Do we still have time to do another one, uh, Liz? Yes, before? we could do Mohammed's video okay. if you want it. I'm yeah. going to do that. I'm going to share the video file sent in from Mohammed in uh, Baghdad. And uh, here we go. Open. And now, you know, you'll recall that Muhammad sent us in this feedback a while ago. And uh, for some reason, we couldn't open up his his video file. Uh, but he just before today's show uh, sent us in uh, another version of said video. And now we can proceed with his feedback. So dear APG crew and community, greetings from Iraq. Uh, for many years, Iraqi Airways made contract to buy new planes, especially the Dreamliner and the Max. Finally, one of the products arrived to Iraq to join the Iraqi Airways fleet and operate here. It's a special moment for me personally because I'm the first controller to the new Boeing 737 Max. That's really nice feel. It's a nice feeling. I would like to share it. Uh, by showing you this video for the new plane taxiing in at our airport. I can't wait to see the Dreamliner also joining the Iraqi Airways fleet. It would be a really nice and amazing experience. Thanks, dear APGs. I wish all the best, Muhammad. So here we go. We're going to play his video taken from the tower of the new Max coming in. A little windy up there, I guess. 
he went and, outside to get a good shot. Yeah, he was outside the ter- tower cab to get a better shot, I would imagine. So there's um, Iraqi Airways uh, brand spanking new uh, 737 Max. New jet smell. Yeah, the new jet smell. You're right. Taxi. That's a very sexy green stripe they've got down the side. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right. Thanks, Mohammed. Thanks, Mohammed. That's for, good. Uh, redoing that. For it us. must have been uh, quite a pleasure to have been the first controller to talk to it. That would have been great. Quite an honor. All you right. could do one more quick one, Jeff, if you wanted to do that Northern Lights thing. Okay, let's do the uh, next item uh, from Sean. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, on the left side of the plane, you can see the Northern Lights, and then the captain performed a three hundred and six degree degree turn. And here's the northern lights for the people on the right side of the aircraft. And this is an article from the New York Post.com. A pilot turns plane around to treat newly engaged couple to stunning views of northern lights. A couple flying back to the UK got the ride of a lifetime after the pilot decided to circle the plane back around mid-flight so passengers could catch a dazzling glimpse of the northern lights. British native Adam Groves and his fiancée, Jasmine Mapp were flying back to Manchester after an incredible four-night stay in Iceland that saw Mapp accept Grove's marriage proposal. The two had spent their entire trips unsuccessfully chasing the Aurora Borealis, they told BBC. While on an EasyJet flight home, the natural spectacle lit up the sky, the night sky, but was only visible to those sitting on the left side of the plane, opposite the side that Groves and Mapp were on. The pair would have missed out on the incredible sight if it weren't for the very kind pilot who offered to circle the plane 360 degrees so everyone on board could see the lights, which have been visible over parts of the UK this week. We were hoping to see them while we were out there, but we didn't get the chance, uh, Groves told the news outlet. We took off and halfway into the flight, the pilot turned uh, all the lights off and the view could be seen out the left window. But we were sitting on the right-hand side, and after a few minutes, the pilot switched back, did a 360 loop around for everyone to see. The two said it was a perfect ending to the life-changing trip following their engagement at a beautiful natural outlook on Iceland's rugged southern coast. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, says uh, Captain here. An EasyJet pilot made a 360-degree turn to treat passengers to a stunning view of the northern lights. They are really stunning, as you can see in these photos. Um, They said, had the pilot not done this, they would have missed out on the incredible view. Uh, After days of jumping in the car at any opportunity to try to find the northern lights without spotting them, finally getting to see them in the sky was the perfect ending to a very special trip, Map told the BBC. An EasyJet spokeswoman said it was happy that the pilot was able to perform a controlled mover on his very last flight so the passengers could get a view of one of nature's greatest sights. I threw that in. It wasn't his last flight. but uh, Well, we don't know for sure. <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> I wonder if he was asked to pay for the extra 10 minutes of fuel. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things where you want to provide a really great service and PR for for the passengers, but you got to be careful. That, yeah. uh, but I'm absolutely. sure that he cleared it with air, air traffic control and just did a 360 turn and continued on. Eh, burned a little extra gas and um, maybe took him an extra couple of minutes. They may have been ahead of schedule and may have been fat on fuel to begin with. I'm sure that was something that was taken into consideration. 
All right. Okay, plain tale time. Plain tale time. Absolutely. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's see. The old pilot has one for us here. Uh, the title of it, 1500 Hours. The old pilot's plain tale. 1,500 hours. The first officer lived near Seattle in the state of Washington, some 2,500 miles from her workplace, Newark Airport, New York. She left home to begin her commute to work on the evening of Wednesday the 11th of February 2009, having been up since mid-morning. She got to her local airport and called a flight to Newark, arriving a little after six in the morning after spending the night in the jump seat of a cargo carrier, flying all night across the country on two separate aircraft, having switched at Memphis. She was due to report for duty at half past one in the afternoon on the 12th, so Rebecca spent the rest of the morning on her phone, watching TV, chatting and napping in a recliner in the company crew room at Newark. When she moved so far from her base airport, she'd considered getting a crash pad to rest for her flights, but decided that she could stay in the crew lounge. The company chief pilot described the crew room as a place to relax, but that it was not adequate for rest before a flight. Indeed, there was a policy that prohibited it for overnight rest. Rebecca was well thought of by her fellow pilots, who described her as a good pilot who was sharp, assertive and thorough. One of her regular captains thought her to have average to above average ability for someone of her experience. Her flying skills were considered to be good and she always kept her head of the aircraft and had good technical knowledge, better than the average first officer. Earlier in her career, she had been employed as a flight instructor and was proficient at teaching and performing approach stall recoveries. She would have performed upwards of a thousand such events, which included incrementally raising the flaps whilst flying out of the stalled condition, something that she would have done herself, as opposed to having the action ordered by the pilot flying. The captain lived in Florida and had positioned himself up from Tampa Airport a couple of days before to begin a series of flights. On the evening of his arrival at Newark, he spent the night in the company crew room before an early start. During that day, he flew a series of three trips before resting in a hotel overnight at Buffalo. Like his first officer, he didn't have his own local accommodation, but relied on the limited crew room rest facilities, hotel accommodation when the company provided it, or sometimes he stayed with a friend. The day before he flew with Rebecca, he flew a duty day of less than eight hours, during which he encountered icing conditions. During these encounters, he correctly activated the ice protection system and the ref speed switch, which applies an additional margin of safety to the stall warning stick shaker angle of attack, since ice accretion is known to increase the stalling speed. Marvin, the captain, had travelled a difficult road to get to his current position as a captain on the Bombardier Q400 for Colgan, a US regional carrier. 
His flying record included several failed check rides, which included his initial instrument rating. This flight was deemed unsatisfactory for his lack of ATC compliance, his instrument checks, his VOR and NDB approaches, and his holding pattern. His initial commercial check ride was failed for his ability to correctly form his takeoffs, landings, go arounds, and performance maneuvers. Although a requirement, he did not disclose any of these previous failures when he joined Colgan. On his first commercial multi engine flight test, he was required to refly the entire flight portion of the practical examination. While working for the company on the Saab 340, he failed his first airline transport pilot flight check for the approach, landing and engine failure parts of the test. The list goes on, with a failure of items on his Saab 340 initial proficiency check and again on his recurrent proficiency check. Finally, in the following year, he failed his upgrade proficiency check in multiple areas, including the approach, landing, and in dealing with an engine failure. Early on the morning of the 11th, the captain departed Buffalo and conducted a flight to Newark, then on to Raleigh-Durham, before returning to Newark later that afternoon. Where he spent the night is unknown, but he was seen asleep in the crew room at various times during the morning of the 12th. After lunch, Marvin volunteered to do some company admin for the base chief pilot and spent some time amending manuals. Marvin and Rebecca's first two flights of the day were cancelled due to high winds at Newark, so they both waited in the crew room until their company dispatch released them for flight 3407 at 6pm, four and a half hours after their initial report time. Certainly for Rebecca, it had been a long time since she had done more than nap in a chair. Their flight to Buffalo was due to take 53 minutes, and they were carrying 45 passengers, which, along with their two cabin attendants, meant they had 49 souls on board their Q400 aircraft. The Q400, more fully known as the Bombardier de Havilland Canada-8400, began life in the 1970s as the Dash 7, a high-wing turboprop-powered regional airliner with low noise levels and good stall, short takeoff and landing characteristics, which made it suitable for operating from small in-city airports. When the more powerful Pratt & Whitney 100 engine was made available, as a stretch version, the Dash 8 was rolled out. In 1986, the manufacturer of the Dash 8 was bought out by Boeing and then by Bombardier six years later. In the mid-1990s, demand grew for a new aircraft to replace older turboprops and Bombardier responded with the improved Series 400 design which employed new technology to reduce cabin noise and vibration to nearly that achieved by jet airliners. To emphasise their quietness, the aircraft was renamed Q, and there were three models available, the Q200, 300 and 400. The Dash 8 design includes a large T-tail, intended to keep the tail free of prop wash during takeoff, 
a very high aspect ratio, that is a long and thin wing, and elongated engine nacelles to house the rearward retracting landing gear. Although the earlier Dash 7 was capable of operating from only 2,200-foot runways, the Dash 8 can still use runways of only 3,000 feet. The Q400 has the longest of the type's fuselages, is fitted with a stouter and larger T-tail, and can hold up to 78 passengers. A number of the aircraft have been lost, mainly on approach to land. However, the Q400 aircraft has logged well over 7 million flight hours with 60 operators and transported over 40 million passengers with an excellent dispatch reliability. When Flight 3407 departed Newark, the captain had accrued 3,379 total flight hours with over 3,000 on turbine-powered aircraft and 111 on type. His first officer had 2,244 hours, with 774 on turbine-powered aircraft, including the Q400. The weather at Buffalo indicated a moderate but gusty wind, 3 miles visibility in light snow and mist, the lowest cloud was due to be at 1,100 feet, and the temperature 1 degree centigrade. There had been some pilot reports of light to moderate rime icing from 3 to 14,000 feet in the destination area, but the last report was four hours old. The significant met weather for their flight told them to expect moderate rime icing below 8,000 feet. Rime icing is the not-so-bad kind. It's easily spotted since it looks milky and granular. It's usually brittle and breaks off fairly easily. The bad kind is clear ice, which flows back in a solid sheet. It's hard and heavy and uncomfortably tenacious, making its removal particularly difficult. About half of the aircraft operating in and out of Buffalo at the time were experienced rime icing. The conditions for the arrival airfield were common for that time of year, and the captain had experienced something similar during his operations there only a few days before. In addition, the crew had received winter conditions training, which included the hazards of icing and its effects on the aircraft's stability and control, which included lightening of the controls, pitch excursions, difficulty in trimming pitch, buffeting of the controls, and sudden nose-down pitching. The NASA-produced video, specially aimed at regional and corporate pilots, indicated that the differences between a wing stall and a tailplane stall could be subtle, but the pilots needed to properly diagnose the icing problem because the recovery techniques for the stalls were different. However, the Q400 was not susceptible to tailplane stalls. As Flight 3407 climbed out of Newark, the crew correctly activated the airframe and propeller de-icing equipment and set the ref speed switch to increase to gain the additional warning it offered of an approaching stall. 
The first officer sent an ACARS message with their landing data for Buffalo, but neglected to indicate that they would be landing with de-icing equipment on or their increase in reference speed, which would have included a 20-knot speed buffer. The crew were vectored around the pattern and were in the process of intercepting the ILS to make their descent towards the runway. The captain, who was flying, was initially faster than required at 184 knots, so he initiated a rapid deceleration whilst configuring the aircraft for landing. Whilst the first officer was lowering the flaps, an incorrect flap setting was made, setting them to 10 degrees instead of the requested 15. The autopilot responded by raising the nose to maintain height, and the low-speed warning bar began to rise upwards on the airspeed indicator, but neither pilot mentioned it. It took 18 seconds, but eventually, at a speed of 131 knots, the speed display turned red, and the cockpit voice recorder picked up the noise of the stick shaker, warning of their approach towards a stall. As the stick shaker started, the autopilot automatically disconnected. There was time available to recover the situation and prevent a stall. But, in response, the captain made a control input that went against every pilot's training. He applied a 37 pound, which is 17 kilo, pull force on the control column and added power. The nose of the Q400 pitched up hard at a little over 1.4 Gs, which reduced the speed by 6 knots whilst increasing the speed at which a stall would occur. The angle of attack increased from 8 to 13 degrees, which was beyond the critical angle and the wing stalled with a left roll that reached 45 degrees despite opposite aileron. The aircraft oscillated left to right, and the stall protection system went from shaking the stick to activating the stick pusher. In response to the stick push, the captain pulled back again, this time with 41 pounds of force, overcoming the stick push mechanism. To a second push, he responded with a 90-pound pull. As the aircraft oscillated, it reached 100 degrees of right bank, and again the stick push activated in an attempt to lower the nose out of the stall. Again it was ignored as a pull of 160 pounds, that's over 70 kilos of force. During this period of inappropriate flight control inputs, the first officer raised the flaps and called her action. Combined with the actions of the captain, this had the effect of further raising the stall speed, making a recovery practically impossible. The aircraft impacted the ground on top of a house and a large fire occurred, which resulted in 50 deaths, all those on board and one occupant of the house. The NTSB accident report is comprehensive and in some areas controversial. The conclusions it reached 
were that the stall was caused by the captain's inappropriate aft control column inputs in response to the stick shaker, that any ice accumulated on the airframe did not affect control of the aircraft. The explicit cues of stick shaker, nose high attitude and low speed cue gave adequate time for the pilots to initiate corrective action, but neither pilot responded that the captain's response to stick shaker activation should have been automatic, but his improper flight control inputs were inconsistent with his training, that it was unlikely that the captain was deliberately attempting to perform a tailplane stall recovery, and there was no evidence indicated that the Q400 was susceptible to such a stall that the first officer's flap retraction was inconsistent with stall recovery procedures and training, that the captain allowed a conversation to occur that delayed checklist completion and conflicted with sterile cockpit procedures, creating an environment that prevented timely error detection that the pilot's performance was likely impaired because of fatigue, but to what extent could not be conclusively determined. There were some other less impactful findings, but all told, the NTSB report detailed 46 of them. Recommendations from previous reports, which had not been acted on by the FAA, were revived and reconsidered, in the light of the facts of the Colgan accident. However, they boiled down to the flight crew's failure to monitor airspeed, the flight crew's failure to adhere to sterile cockpit procedures, the captain's failure to effectively manage the flight, and Colgan as inadequate procedures for airspeed selection, management during approaches in icing conditions, and training. In various post-report statements, it was interesting to note that some of the members of the board, whilst broadly agreeing with the findings, had different interpretations on the level of fatigue present in the pilots and how it might have affected their performance. The NTSB chair, however, highlighted the 20 years that fatigue had been on the NTSB's most wanted list without getting substantial action from the regulators. In the aftermath of the crash, a public inquiry was held and the FAA issued a call to action to generate improvements in the practices of regional carriers. Finally, following campaigns and much public pressure, the Senate held a hearing a year after the report was issued, which resulted in many changes, some with greater impact than others. Primarily, the Airline Safety Act required that both the pilot-in-command and second-in-command of Part 121 Airlines have an air transport pilot certificate and multi-engine flight experience. The Act also mandated that ATP applicants have 1,500 flight hours. This requirement placed a significant hurdle in front of budding airline pilots and many have questioned the value of building hours just for the sake of it. Indeed, ICAO offered an alternative, 
a formal competency-based training program where new pilots are eligible to fly as first officers in their country's airlines after only 230 hours of specific training, the Multi-Crew Pilot Licence, MPL, scheme. The key here is the training. These pilots are not trained to the commercial level and then turned loose to accumulate another thousand or so hours of unstructured experience, but rather they learn important concepts in safety and multi-crew operations in a very structured manner. Airlines in Europe, Australia, China, Oman, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, United Arab Emirates and the United Kingdom have been operating for many years under the MPL scheme. And whilst not perfect, many have achieved great success. In the meantime, the debate in the United States continues as the FAA has recently turned down an exemption request by Republic to adopt a somewhat similar scheme to the ICAO model. A review eight years after the FAA's changes concluded that, before the Colgan investigation, some airlines, particularly regional airlines, met only very low minimum standards for pilot hiring, pilot training, pilot records and pilot professional standards. These standards have been raised. The change to realistic stall training is now underway. Airline pilot monitoring training, remedial training and professional development training were minimal or non-existent. These are now required. Standards for pilot fatigue management, safety management systems, flight simulators and low-speed cautions have improved. All told, the industry is in better shape. Very well done. And yeah, so what made you pick uh, this incident, uh, accident, uh, Captain Nick? Well, it was a comment by one of our listeners um, last show or show before Mm -hmm. uh, who uh, was unfamiliar with the Colgan crash and its impact on the aviation industry. So I thought, well, if there's one, there's bound to be more than one. And despite the fact that, uh, you know, it's a a well-known incident in uh, experienced American pilots uh, who all have a great deal of opinion and varied opinion, uh, I thought I'd tackle it. And, you know, I did with a certain level of trepidation because I wasn't as familiar with it as just the average guy or, uh, on an airline in, uh, in America, because it didn't affect me very much at all. But uh, I, I was interested to take a look at it, and I hope with um, a slightly i divorced of any pressures or opinions that I um, that uh, others in America might have. Um, so, but I by no means am I trying to suggest I'm an authority on this particular incident or the ramifications. But I I hope that that tale will open up the conversation again because I think it's time we perhaps discussed it now and brought it back to light, not just the 1,500-hour thing, which I thought was a very odd response to that accident since neither of the pilots were in that low hour situation they were all 
relatively experienced pilots for regional carriers. So neither of them, in theory, would have been suffering from a low-hour training situation. Uh, more importantly, the area that uh, I thought was the most important thing, which was fatigue, was both argued uh, by members of the NTSB board uh, and the changes to the uh, or to compensate for that, you know, to improve the situation, I thought were relatively minor. I mean, I'm not even familiar particularly familiar with changes that occurred. So I looked at it and thought, that's a, it's a very odd accident to choose to be the catalyst for the changes that did occur. And they were significant for a lot of pilots who since then have faced uh, the problem of having to work their way to 1,500 hours, having to have an ATP before they became a one Part 121, uh, and this is assuming I've got all the facts right, of course, mm -hmm. uh, pilot. Right. Yeah, I did not. I had, well, when I was hired by a major airline going straight from the military to um, major legacy airline, I had uh, about 2,200 hours of mostly, almost exclusively military training experience. I did not have an airline transport pilot uh, certificate. I had the written out of the way. Of course, that was a requirement, but I, I had a commercial um, license or a certificate, uh, multi-engine, instrument rated. Um, and uh, I ended up getting my ATP when I upgraded to captain on the 727. As you mentioned now, since this Colgan disaster, uh, the uh, requirement is that both the uh, pilot and in, in, in command and second in command or captain and first officer on all the airlines part 121 here in the u.s have to have uh, atps uh, and i agree with you i'm not sure that it necessarily ensures or me makes a significant difference uh it experience is good we always talk about that on the show um but uh it's the kind of experience you have uh really that makes it means more but the uh, IHAL boxes in our live audience says you might have 200 hours total time on a Cessna 150 and be a better VFR pilot than an ATP with 15,000 hours. It's indeed the specific experience that account that counts. Yeah, that's true. You know, I I'm sure uh, yeah. that there are 200 hour you know Cessna 150 pilots that could uh, just you know fly circles around me in a VFR pattern. Um, yeah, so Neil is mentioning in our audience, it also sounded like the captain had failed a lot of previous qualifications. Were his general skills in doubt, fatigue or not? So yeah, I think the biggest, for me, the biggest takeaway was the fact that this was not the most competent pilot. And in fact, um, the record, the very mm, substandard record that he had with competency and check rides and everything else uh were um something that he uh concealed when he went from one airline to another to another and that have made some big changes as far as making sure that people uh companies know that somebody has a record yeah. of failed check rides and that kind of thing uh, although that is not that's not a guarantee that 
a tragedy won't occur and you'll end up uh, you know, hiring somebody that maybe uh, competency-wise is not the, the, the most qualified person. For instance, the, the, uh, the, uh, the Atlas uh, flight, the 767 that uh, crashed into Trinity Bay outside of Houston, uh, that was one of those things where uh, you know there there are some issues regarding training and failing check rides and that kind of thing on that and considering yeah. records so i think if you looked at any of us uh with enough years in the industry we're going to eventually generate a paper trail of mistakes that will have been picked up the fact is though do you have the same mistakes have you learned from the retraining uh and have you improved uh, you have to bear in mind that some of the mistakes this particular captain made were right during his initial instrument rating, his very first instrument rating. Uh, it was years and years later of flying experience, uh, hundreds upon hundreds of hours, that he then faced his problems. So you have to say, well, some of those you could just discount because they were right at the beginning of his career. However, uh, there are other errors he were making, and he was consistent in areas where he was weak, which indicates to me that he wasn't necessarily improving with retraining and experience. And that would be a flag for me uh, as a, a, a real area of problem. And, of course, it was the area where he mishandled the aircraft on, on an approach to landing. Um, I the um yeah it, the, this whole area is so difficult because uh box is quite correctly says you can do 200 hours of something that makes you a great pilot or you can do a thousand hours of something that makes you no better than when you started and a lot of the flying we do in the civil world is particularly long-haul pilots they make they have flight hours and hours and hours never handling the aircraft, whereas a short haul pilot might fly considerably less, but does considerably more in the way of approaches in different weather, handling the aircraft more frequently, and building up a real uh, level of experience. And from that point of view, I happen to agree with ICAO when they say just um, letting asking pilots to assemble hours without structure is pretty pointless. So I think the 1,500-hour rule, as, uh, as it stands, is, is a, a poor choice of ways of improving pilots. I also happen to think that 230 hours of structured training is good, but... Perhaps it's not enough. Perhaps it needs to be twice that, say 500 hours, but I'm not an expert in these. But I do think that all the pilot's training up to the point where he gets sufficient to get his air transport pilot's license needs to be monitored and structured and assessed and mixed in with simulators. And it needs to be more than just... Um, well, you you could buy an aeroplane and just fly it in a straight line for 1,500 hours, and then you've ticked the box. It needs to be more than that. True. And the, and the thing that I think one of the critical factors in all of this is 
you can have a pilot that through routine flying and you know experiencing you know what what they're expecting to experience and that kind of thing but when you throw them into a situation where they are they're they're not used they're not expecting something to happen and they're not that the whole startle factor that you talk about or we talk about a lot you don't there's really no way of knowing how someone's going to react to a situation such as they found themselves in uh did fatigue have something to do with it absolutely i think it did um you know if they had been more well rested maybe that would have compensated for maybe the lack of competency or it would have helped with that startle factor when the airplane is giving you a uh, stick shaker and stick pusher and almost panicking and doing the absolute opposite opposite uh, action that you should take in the situation uh, but it's it's all a mix i think and you know what was more important than the other i don't know i think i agree with you that the the hours of experience they had was the least significant part of it in my mind uh the competency competency level uh was m more significant in my mind and also the fatigue aspect of it and i think and i've mentioned this several times on the show i thought it was kind of uh, interesting i guess i'll say that you know the faa you know did change some rules as far as flight duty periods and hours flown and that kind of thing far part 117 was a result of of this uh but they didn't really in my mind address the part of it that i think was kind of significant in my mind the part where they had traveled um both of them had traveled and and had long duty days and and uh, didn't get a lot of rest before they uh, operated the duty period where this accident occurred uh, i think and and i think that i the the unions maybe how are reluctant to um touch this um perhaps and maybe even the companies themselves when they have you know we have the opportunity as pilots to be based in a base to fly a certain piece of equipment and trips and that kind of thing but not a requirement to live in the base or near the base and so we can you know, we, it's our responsibility to make sure that we get to where we're supposed to be when we start a trip. But it's also our responsibility to make sure that we are fully rested and fully capable of performing at our top level or as close to it as we can. And that that was, in, in my mind, it wasn't completely addressed. And a lot of people that are commuters out there go, Jeff, just shut up about that. You know, that we don't want any restrictions or or requirements and that kind of thing, because that's going to make it much diff more difficult for me to commute from the West Coast to the East Coast to fly this jet where I'm getting paid more money. And or maybe they don't have the choice where maybe they have to be based at Newark because of their uh, lack of seniority. And but they don't want to uproot their family and move, so they put you know they 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 do the commuting aspect of it and the related fatigue that comes from it uh, as a way of you know making it happen. And uh, I don't know where, where I'm going with this, but I'm th thinking that. I know exactly where you're going. There is a huge reluctance amongst a number of professional pilots uh, not to upset the apple cart because this is the way they make their living. They can't afford to live because perhaps of low wages when you're starting uh, in flying as these regional pilots did. 
close to an expensive um, basing, so you live somewhere inexpensive. And if you're getting on a, on an aircraft to fly a thousand miles, why not fly two thousand miles? Or in the case of the first officer, two and a half thousand miles the, the across the entire continent to get to where you were going. My my feeling on this is that every pilot has to accept a level of personal responsibility to ensure that they understand and have overcome any rest problems that they had. There, there were certain both pilots were fatigued. The captain was fatigued because he had uh, had a sleep deprivation. So even though he'd had a night in a hotel, uh, because of his commute and the fact that he was now flying his second set of legs, so he didn't wasn't due a hotel rest. Um, he uh, was had been deprived of several hours of sleep. The uh, our lovely first officer, despite the fact that many people said she coped very well with commuting and always seemed lively and energetic, uh, that doesn't always uh, count when you're requiring other faculties uh, to to fly your airplane accurately. Um, had she uh, landed in the evening before her flight and paid for a hotel room uh, and then slept for eight or ten hours and then got up, nice, relaxed, gone to work uh, mid-morning to check in at 1.30, I'm sure she would have been a different pilot uh, and because she was much admired and people thought she was... Uh, a very good pilot, but she made uh, a quite critical error, uh, a couple. Um, she failed to correct the captain, and she also raised the flaps whilst they were in a stalled position uh, situation. Um, so they both made really critical handling errors. And uh, the, the only reason I can think of two uh, pilots capable of doing this thing correctly, didn't do it correctly, is fatigue. I, it's the only decent excuse for doing this. Everything else kind of, for me, goes out the hat. But fatigue is one of the biggest problems that the airline industry won't face, if you see what I mean, because they, it's the status quo. Now, they don't want to completely rejig the way they operate to try and accommodate all these uh, factors that they're currently ignoring. I agree. Uh, Deanna makes a point. As much as I agree, the 1,500-hour rule isn't helpful. Uh, she doesn't believe that that is going to be something that's going to overturn, be overturned. You might, you might well be right, Deanna, but half the world doesn't agree with it. Mm -hmm. You know, America is almost alone in having this restriction. Well, screw the rest of the world, Nick. This is the <laughs> yeah. U.S. of A, right? Uh, the, the fact is that you, you're the guys who are <laughs> suffering from a huge shortage of pilots. Yeah. If if you rejigged your training system to allow pilots to qualify with only 250 hours, say, an example, on a structured course, uh, then you'd perhaps relieve some of the pilot um, problem. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Captain Nick, and as Micah also mentions, you know, the the con, uh, commuter airlines. Now, things have changed quite dramatically in the last year or two as far as pay, starting pay, and uh, the conditions uh, as, as far as, you know, living your life. 
uh, and and not being able to afford hotel rooms because you just don't get paid. I mean, you could actually, I think a, a first officer at a commuter airline until recently uh, met the the level of income that that you could you qualify for for food stamps in other words a very low income level and you know if you're if you're trying to provide a a roof over your head and food and and then my gosh if you're married and have a family i mean there it was just not something that you could do oh let alone manage the quarter of a million dollar um debt right you're paying all you've paying back that loan into. that you yeah took out to get, yeah. to get the experience it's necessary it's just horrendous yeah so i mean i think we're we haven't we ha- we haven't figured it out yet uh we we're i think we're getting closer and we're seeing what you know what happened as a as a result of this uh this this tragedy and how uh, things may have improved here and there but i think we still have a long way to go to c- crack this nut yeah. um but if anything i i was fascinated by this particular accident because it generated all this discussion and all this action and even you know congress got involved etc but i think they picked the wrong accident you know they i don't think this was an appropriate accident to generate this level of interest i'm very pleased it did because it it you know brought it out into the public's eye and all of a sudden the public started going well that's not right i don't want this guy flying my airplane a great part of it has to do with the fact that the the families of the people that lost their lives yeah. in this were very organized and very influential uh, to the politicians, and that's probably the major reason why this particular accident yes. was um, kind of a catalyst uh, with all this. Um, yes, that's the impression I got. And I and I'm thinking deeply about this. I'm thinking, you know, we had um, a couple of other. Big tragedies uh, in in that year, two thousand nine. Uh, this Colgan crash, the Air France A three thirty tragedy, and in the fall of two thousand nine, when I started podcasting. Oh, that was a tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I I'd forgotten it's that you year. didn't actually cover this when it <laughs> happened. Yeah. Well, the reason why sure. I didn't cover it because it had her- occurred earlier in the year before I, yeah. I started doing the podcasting thing. But um, anyway, uh, very thank you for covering that, Nick. Um, that's something that we haven't really, uh, you know, we haven't covered that at all on our show. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm sad that we didn't have some other members of our, our of our crew with us uh, to talk about this after that uh, great plane tale. But uh Perhaps we'll, well, I'm sure we'll get some feedback. At least I, I hope we will, because yeah. you know we've perhaps reopened the conversation, and perhaps we can hear now people's thoughts. Uh, you know, so many years after the event, and looking at the problems we're currently facing with all these errors that are recycling and coming up, uh, how are we going to get round the problem? What do people think? So true. So you heard us. You know, send in some feedback and tell us what you think about all of this. Uh, let's jump to number 13, Nick. Um, this is from Mike uh, Cochran. And he said, uh, I'm sure Liz beat me to the punch because it came from her favorite website. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Mike, you beat her to the punch. 
However, I'm curious how Captain Jeff or Captain Nick would have handled this situation. What would you do if both didn't deplane them? Okay, so he's talking about the incident where two American Eagle commuter airline flight attendants got into a heated argument over seat assignments and offload themselves. And he says, well, what would you do if both didn't deplane themselves? Have either of you had to play mediator between two flight attendants or between a flight attendant and another pilot? If so, how did you address it? I have an interview coming up and this would pose uh, as a good, what would you do question, Mike? Um, I think the best what you do question would be one that was famous when they said, uh, you've just flown a long flight with your captain and you agreed to join him for a beer afterwards and he walks in wearing a dress. What do you do? Now, bearing bearing in mind that nowadays you would just have a beer with him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But uh, 25 years ago when I was... uh, (laughs) It was a little di- different situation. Back then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dude. Carry I would. On. I would say. I would probably. You know, depending on how good he looked in 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 uh, <laughs> those high heels, I'd, I'd compliment him. Maybe. You know. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Why not? <laughs> Have I ever had to intervene in something? Liz is asking. Uh, no. Thankfully, and I hope that I can get through my career. I just have a few more months to go uh, without having to deal with a situation like this. No, I have not. Um, Nick, have you? Sort of, um, because, you know, when you've got 14 or so, 15 uh, cabin crew, um, there are differences of opinion. But generally speaking, you've got a very senior cabin crew manager in charge of them all. And, their job is to deal with these sort of hassles. But when you've only got two, um, then it becomes harder. Uh, Presumably one is more senior than the other, so they adopt uh, the role of being their commander because there always has to be in uh, an aircraft in that kind of a situation a, you know, someone has to be ultimately in charge and then there is a chain of command that goes down to the most junior so we all know who's in charge of who um but uh i've never had what well, it's not true i have um cautioned some cabin crew and um i would have thrown them off the airplane had we not been at an outstation where there was no one to replace them so i merely ensured that the everyone at least the senior cabin crew knew about the problem and were going to make sure that they were uh, probably sat down didn't do anything um it was a a case of pitching out to work not entirely fit to fly um so uh, anyway uh, when you got this situation they have an argument about what they're going to do uh one of them's walked off well, that solved the problem. The other one is sitting there waiting for replacement, and uh, they can pick whatever they want to do. Why the second one wasted all that length of time and then walked off, I have no idea what that was meant to achieve. Um, you can't force people to work. If they decide to walk off your airplane, there's not a lot you can do about it. All you do is ask for replacement. Uh, this presumably happened at an outstation. Otherwise, you'd probably have a cabin crew manager uh, on the uh, in the airport who would come on board and deal with it, uh, either sort them out or um, you know listen to their grievances and write a report. Um, 
But uh, and you would also have camera crew on standby, probably airport standby, uh, who would very quickly replace them. Um, but this sounded like it was out at a basing somewhere, uh, you know. At a, right. Well, let me. I should probably have read this um, so everybody is in the loop as far as what happened. Uh, two flight attendants working on a flight, uh, working a flight on behalf of American Eagle. Uh, allegedly got into such a heated fight over seat assignments that they refused to work with one another after uh, resulting in the flight being delayed by around two hours. The incident was documented by ESPN reporter Ashley Brewer, who was a passenger on the plane flying to visit her fiancé. My flight can't take off because two flight attendants got into a fight and now are refusing to work together, she said on Twitter. Explaining what led to the row, Ashley wrote, a lady in first class asked to switch seats with a guy in coach so she could sit by her husband. One attendant said yes. Other said no, not allowed. Turned into a heated argument. So dumb. In an accompanying TikTok video, Ashley documented the resulting fallout as ground staff boarded the plane in an attempt to mediate the situation. With all the passengers still sitting on the plane, Ashley says one of the two flight attendants aboard the small regional jet got his luggage together and suddenly deplaned in front of the mall. Ashley and the other passengers were then forced to wait for an hour while a replacement crew member was found, only for the second crew member who had been involved in the altercation to then deplane herself. (laughs) She said, well, if he's going to go, I'm going to go too then. Uh, There was a second frustrating wait while another replacement flight attendant was found. And in the end, the flight departed around two hours late. Screwing customers over because of their own personal emotions affecting their work, Ashley wrote in response to one of her followers, most unprofessional thing I've ever witnessed in my life. The flight appeared to be operated by Utah-based SkyWest Airlines, which has contracts with some of the biggest airlines in the U.S., including American Airlines and Delta Airlines for regional services. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking, based on this, if they, if they got a replacement within an hour or two, in the second flight attendant's case, I'm thinking they must have been at a base. Yeah, that, they might well have been. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious why the flight deck didn't get involved, because with any two cabin crew, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's the captain really is the ultimate, uh, okay, I'll decide what happens here. Right. I'm wondering and if, if he'd taken it. Yeah, if he'd taken it upon himself to say, make the decision over whether the passenger can move or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take responsibility. Yes, the passenger can move. Mm-hmm. And if you either of you have a problem, just refer any questions to me because I'm the captain and it's my right. airplane. Yeah, uh, And that would have taken the responsibility of either of them to have a conflict because neither of them ever had to make a decision. The captain's done it for them. Right. And he's taken responsibility. So now... You know, in theory, the conflict's gone That's away. absolutely the best way to have. Yeah. And I used to do a lot of that, particularly when it came to offloading drunk passengers. You know, the the cabin crew would go up and go, well, we think this passenger's too drunk to fly. What do you want to do? And my immediate answer was offload them. Yeah. Because – you don't want a passenger who's behaving well for five minutes to get airborne and be, be a horrendous drunk for the rest of the flight. And you've, if the if the cabin crew come to you with the problem, there's obviously a problem. It's something not something that's they're not making it up. 
<laughs> right. They think the passenger is going to be a problem, but they're unwilling to make the final decision to offload. It was an easy decision for me to make. I'm, I always supported my cabin crew there. Well, Neil Lanwarm in our live audience says, is there a chain of command at APG? Oh, yes, Any hissy fits or hair pulling? <laughs> yeah. oh, you don't yeah. know the half of it, Neil. I mean, before no, we turn no, these yes. cameras yeah. on, it's, it's, it's yeah. crazy. It really is. Yeah. We uh, hate I'm each so other. much more relaxed now that <laughs> Steph's disappeared. Oh, yes. HR. You know, she seems <laughs> she so nice. Well, and all she that. does. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's a monster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay. Just 10 minutes left for three hours, Liz? Wow. wow. It's really flying today. Uh, and I don't mean, I, I, and that's not a pun. Um, <laughs> for a change. Yeah. For a change. What do, what do we want to do next then, control room? Um, how about number 11, Jeff? Number 11. Uh, the, the observed turbulence, the EFB thing. Oh, Okay, yeah, that's good. It's uh, recent. Uh, recently, we talked about um, this uh, app on some airlines' EFBs, uh, electronic flight bags, iPads, basically, uh, that uh, sense on with their accelerometers uh, turbulence and are able to, through an algorithm, uh, make sense of it and send it to a server and all that kind of stuff. So let me read. Uh, well, actually, let me play. Uh, some audio feedback from our good friend Martin Kemp, uh, who works for Jefferson and creates a lot of these um, apps for the EFB. Hi there, Jeff and crew. This is uh, Martin Kemp. I just wanted to respond to your last episode when you were talking about the turbulence reporting and the fact that the EFBs can now actually show uh, recorded turbulence, observed turbulence, um, plus also record it. So yeah, um, there is a company, uh, Skypath, that uh, uses the uh, GPS and the combination with the accelerometer um, on the iPad uh, to be able to determine the movement of the aircraft and, and interpret that as uh, turbulence. Um, and then there's a com uh, IATA, they collect the uh, data from the aircraft uh, that record turbulence as well. And it all relies on crowdsourcing. So the more aircraft that are experiencing it and recording it and reporting it, uh, you know, the more beneficial it is for the air crews because, um, you know, as we've seen, forecasting the turbulence is quite difficult. And, uh, you know, the clear air turbulence especially, um, you know, something that we, we need to uh, know about so that we can protect the, the crews, especially the cabin crews, and uh, make sure that they um, can stay safe and uh, you know, at the very least, get the seatbelt sign on and get the crews to sit down so um, everything is secure and we can minimize the injuries. So, yeah, so uh, it's a really exciting area. As I say, the more people that are involved and uh, the more companies that are generating the data, the more flights, uh, the most more beneficial it is for the uh, um, air crews to be able to see what's going on um, around them and especially uh, if following the, uh, the tracks and the airways, um, you know, where there are multiple aircraft following the same route then it's enormously beneficial. So uh, that's our feedback. Yes, we're excited to incorporate that into EFBs and have more and more air crews being able to see this. So thanks very much for the great show, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks so, Mar uh, so much, Martin, for your feedback regarding this and somebody that uh, has some knowledge on the uh, subject. Oh, yeah. I just thought of a great wheeze, a great not sort of joke you can play. Because if you say you're at the front of a long line of 
people going on the same route, different airlines behind you. You could pick up your EFBs <laughs> and shake them like a cocktail shaker for 10 minutes, and they'd all be so terrified of the turbulence that you're going through, they'd divert their tracks mm -hmm. and they'd end up dropping way behind and you'd get to your destination well in front of you and get lots of kudos and people come fly with your airline because not only did they get a really <laughs> smooth flight, you also got them to their destination really quickly. Well, you have to think <laughs> that there must be something in the algorithm that can sense, you know, when somebody is like shaking their EFB or just maybe like an old guy like me who you know, might might not be able to hold anything steady anymore. You know, and, or, or drinks a lot. Or got, drinks a lot. <laughs> DT, uh, exactly. shaking all his hands are shaking. Yeah. Uh, this was the, oh, right. uh, the sky path that he, uh, the thing that he's referring to. Uh, how Captain it works. Captain shakes his iPad. <laughs> Captain, who is going through DT, goes down to the SkyPath servers <laughs> and off to the data layer, and yeah. everyone else has to go drive by another track. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, I think it's that. actually it's brilliant technology using <laughs> yeah. a resource that every airline now I think has these EFBs and I think ninety nine percent of them are iPads and uh, it's 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 a brilliant uh, because I think the system that my company is using is based on uh, a limited subset of aircraft in the fleets that have built in accelerometers in the wings or I'm not sure exactly where they are uh, sending this uh, data to servers etc uh, but gosh you know using something you already have that every pilot has to have with them in the in the cockpit uh, is is I think a very brilliant idea and uh, yeah so thank you for for kind of clarifying and explaining uh, how that all works Martin and uh, thank you for sending in the feedback we do appreciate that all right uh, 14 let's do, let's wrap it up with 14 this is um, well I don't blame them for being anonymous because it's kind of embarrassing to send in feedback to the show um, I think Nick should consider and, and especially the subject matter I think Nick should consider printing a book of his show art the plane <laughs> with the snorkel made me want to be able to just sit and browse a collection of Nick's artistic weirdness. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's see. So, again, this is from Anonymous, uh, too ashamed to even identify himself or herself as uh, the person that might have this wonderful idea. Um, what do you think, Nick? You think you should like make a book? Uh, well, of it? it would be a weird book. I mean, without the uh, context of why you're producing all these strange. Well, you'd have pictures. to put some words in there explaining it, right? But it'd be I, like I a, a coffee table book. The object a bit, really, because yeah. if you have to explain your artwork, yeah, then it's not uh, up to much, really, is it? And what you need to do is to work, listen mm -hmm. to the show, which right. is the ideal thing, and then work out what the art work is relevant to well liz is saying well you know you could just go to the website and uh go to the podcasts page and see all That's the uh, all the art that uh, nick has created over these years um and then if you need context then listen to our show Absolutely, and I'd love to know what people's favorites are oh. because I never, I, I get a little bit of feedback, obviously, mm -hmm. but I'm never sure as to which ones go down particularly well and which ones. Well, that's not. a good subject, a good, a good poll, maybe. Mm. Uh, yeah. So if you're listening to, the, to this, 
and you have a favorite or favorites, uh, why don't you submit your your choices for the best show art created by Captain Nick? I'd appreciate it. Give yeah. me some indication of what to do next. Very good. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Lots of uh, feedback left over that will move to our next uh, show queue. And uh, we're going to tell you to head over to our website, airlinepilotguy.com. Again, where you can see that uh, cover art for all the shows. And you can also learn more about each of the plane tales, uh, more detailed information, some more uh, photographs and such. Um, also, uh, information about the crew and the community and the community calendar, merchandise, the APG library, uh, how you can become a member of the Coffee Bar Club, and so much more. So again, head over to airlinepilotguy.com. I'm sorry, Liz, what? You got any layovers coming up this week? Do I have any layovers coming up this week? Uh, on Sunday, I'm flying, Sunday night, I'm flying to Gulfport, um, Mississippi, Gulfport Biloxi. It's late to meet up. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's way too late to meet up because I get in pretty late. And then I believe, um, I think that we leave the next day, we dead head back. So, um, yeah, not not ideal for a, for a meetup next week. Yeah. But uh, thanks for asking. And um, let's see, what else? Uh, oh, we're on social media. And uh, Captain Nick is our social media uh, uh, master of, of, of social when, when media. When I'm not, when I'm not being hacked <laughs> and locked out of my own accounts. Oh, yeah. How's that anyone... going? Is that, have you resolved that situation? Well, I think uh, I, I bored the person who was doing it out of carrying on, but I, I, I had like, to go through. I don't like <laughs> imitating this guy anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. He's not. He's not doing much to fix oh, it. Uh, okay. Uh, I I managed to get rid of all the pictures of ISIS uh, terrorists off my uh, Facebook page. But mm. uh, if you do want to find us on Facebook. No ISIS terrorists involved, please. Uh, you just have to search for airline pilot guy. That's all one word, and oh, there sorry, we are. No, and no, uh, it, no. we're on Slack. Uh, sorry, at, that was wrong. Oh, hello. That, what did this do that? Did she do that on purpose? Yeah, no, she's I doing it on purpose. No, no, I did not. Oh, well. I did not. Because I suddenly thought no, I, I did not. I had to go and get in the shower. No, I did not. Okay, on uh, on Twitter, uh, we have the handle at APG Crew. <laughs> And uh -huh. on the Instas, on Instagram, we're just APG crew. And Instagram is where you will find copies of all our artwork, usually before the show comes out. So that's where I post that hmm. as soon as I've done it. Very good. And we're also on Slack. And uh, Let's see if Hillel is available. I know he's probably going to be dripping wet, but let me just – hey. Are you sure that's water, Jeff? Hello. Can you tell us about okay, Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. <laughs> My timing was Yeah, wet. I'm not sure that's water. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but, uh, or it could be, uh, ah, you're right. It's ah, not water. A delta um, P. <laughs> so uh, he's going to come over here and tell us about Slack. 
APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. We do appreciate all the management of the Slack group, and um, we look Jeff, forward. To- you've got to try these towels. I have. They're my towels. <laughs> I don't know. He's very confused. Anyway, we do appreciate Hillel's uh, management of the Slack group, and uh, we also want to bring Liz back up here. There she is. Sorry, uh, Nick. That was just a, a misclick on my part. I did not <laughs> right. You let me off on a complete tangent. Uh, she said she was saying to me in the control room, yeah, watch this. We'll see how he <laughs> handles this. No, she did not do that. Uh, I'm so, going to report her to HR. <laughs> we need yeah, to. Please. We need to uh, thank uh, Liz for yes, all the hard right. work that she does each thank and every you, week. Um, You're welcome. You know, during the show and between shows, more importantly. So, thank you so much. I mean, I couldn't do this without you, Liz. We love you. And uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, well, that was a nice little. That was a bit abrupt. <laughs> yeah, that was abrupt. <laughs> Kill yeah. the audience. Yeah. They obviously, sat down quickly there. I've had some issues with my soundboard, and obviously, I, it's reverted to an earlier version <laughs> when it, I didn't have the fade out going on in that one. Oh well, I'll try to fix that in the in the interim. No problem. But uh, no problem. anyway, thanks everybody, especially those of you who are watching us live. Uh, if you're listening to the audio podcast, uh, consider you know following us on uh, the uh, social meds and uh, joining the uh, live audience while we record these things. It's a lot of fun. And these people are uh, great people and uh, really don't help us out much, uh, but they do provide some entertaining uh, comments while we do the show. No, I'm just kidding. They do help us out a lot. And we do love having them. Uh, they're part of our, uh, our APG family. Yep. And uh, with that, I think it's time now for us to uh, wish you a wonderful weekend and great upcoming week and we hope to see you here again uh, on our next episode and until then wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds talons douglas hi everybody cheers don't drink too much green beer don't listen to liz we love you Good day.
Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly away 